Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And, and we're, we're going, going round, <laughs> round Springfield. Springfield. I couldn't be more excited to welcome Matt Groening. Yay! It's great <laughs> Yay. to be here. <laughs> I, I'm doing I'm doing my own chair, right? Great to, yeah. be, great to be here. You know, I've never done a podcast before, so this is mm. uh, this is all new to me. That's in so fact, exciting. In fact, I I don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How wait, dare you? Wait, 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 wait. You wait, know wait, what, Matt? Wait. Get off the show. <laughs> wait a minute, I'm. So- you're already killing a, the podcast guest game by being that brutally honest. No, 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 no. What I mean is, I mean, I haven't listened. Before you invited me on the show, I I hadn't listened to the podcast because, I mean, it's The Simpsons, right? And, uh, you know, right. You I, lived I don't, it. You I, don't need to. I don't, I don't sit there, you know, uh, uh, in bed listening to podcasts that mention me. Okay, so that's it. Uh, in fact, I, do many people do many people do that? I guess, I don't know. Listen to Listening. podcasts about you? Yeah. No, no, about about <laughs> their own thing. Right? I'm willing to bet that Mark Marin listens to old episodes as he goes, dozes off to sleep every night. I think that that's part of his process. <laughs> you know, you know, he's the only other person I agreed to do a podcast for. And, and that was many, many years ago. And so I'm cheating because I'm always saying to people who do ask me, I, I, I got to do Mark Marin first. But no, I have to do yours first because you're, you're you're quitting. So. Oh, good. we're quitting. Hey, That's exactly right. Can I ask what? Can I ask what you guys are? What, what's next? Jeez. Well, we are recording this at the time that the COVID vaccine is yet to come out. So I currently am collecting unemployment, which is very fun. Um, <laughs> but aside from uh, the current lack of work, uh, I've been working on a fun pitch with a former mad magazine editor like myself we've teamed up and uh hopefully by the time this airs we'll have any development on that but mostly just freelance and music i'm i was gonna have a new album this year but i decided to put that on hold uh so i've just been recording and writing some new songs so that'll be fun how about you Mm -hmm. julia for me um (laughs) just again doing the tv writer hustle but um yeah trying to you know, pitch my own thing and whatever, but I'd love to, and I know Allie would second this, we'd love to find another project to uh, collaborate on, um, whether that is, you know, another podcasty thing or a booky thing or a TV showy thing. Um, you know, we're creative partners and sisters for life. So that's sort of what I'm thinking for the future. And Matt, you know, I'm sure you get this all the time in terms of people saying like, you know, how important the Simpsons is to them and Futurama and everything you've worked on. But Julia and I truly became friends uh, because of our shared love of the Simpsons. We shared this early on in the podcast, but the way that we became friends was a uh, a fellow stand-up comedian uh, was at a party with us and very kind of like begrudgingly was just like, oh, Allie, Julia, you're both obsessed with the Simpsons. You guys should be friends or whatever. And then it was kind of, you know, we, we had never spoken uh, or even seen each other. And it was just a moment of like, yeah, the Simpsons are great. And it's like ended up being small talk that turned into a, a very close friendship and partnership. And Julia, you're one of my very best friends in the world. And I uh. sobbed at your wedding and it's, I just couldn't be a bigger fan. And now you've written on the Simpsons. So it obviously is a huge part of our lives. And so 
Thank you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's very satisfying. I gotta yeah. Say. Yes. <laughs> I joked with Allie before this. I was like, you got to stop me from saying thank you, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you should just lean into it. <laughs> yeah, I should. I should actually just lean into it. Um, but yeah, The Simpsons taught me how to write. Like I knew that I wanted to write comedy from a young age because I enjoyed it so much and wanted to, you know, just run in the direction of whatever it was. Um, and so, yeah, not I, I know that this episode is going to be a lot of just like, you know, geeking out in many different ways, but just to sort of get it started. Um, yeah, I learned how to write stories. I learned how to write jokes. I learned, you know, how to um, construct characters that, you know, seemed real that you wanted to hang out with. I was raised by cable, so I wanted to hang out with my TV friends to create worlds that were as rich and um, diverse and vivid as Springfield. That's always a goal whenever I sit down to write anything. And um, so, yeah, that's that's just my sort of starting line of it like I, I owe everything to it so yeah <laughs> we're wow. big old fans, <laughs> wow, big old fans. Wow. and uh yeah. we've even had a, a friend uh come on the show uh who works at starburns you know when they made rick and morty and they're awesome he learned how to speak english watching the simpsons he grew up in mexico and uh he actually like literally learned how to talk from watching the show so it's everywhere we go we get to connect to Simpsons fans in a way that's really cool for us that's um, amazing but that's also a Wayne's World joke with the police academy <laughs> movie that's are true. you sure that he wasn't just you know copying and pasting that from that movie <laughs> I'm gonna grill him after this okay, yeah the, right. I, the idea of learning how to speak English from a tv show is very strange right it's, I, yeah it's a, it's a, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs in the first Tarzan book I think Tarzan teaches himself as a as a baby uh, how to how to speak English by reading the dictionary, and I how how is that possible? That makes no sense. It, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm doing Duolingo right now, and I am still not fluent in any of the languages that I'm attempting to. But I can announce when I'm walking into a business meeting or when I need to catch a bus. That is basically <laughs> all that I can do at this moment. <laughs> um, okay, so Matt, what we want to do on this this version of our show because you might know we had previously our we had a version of our show called everything's uh coming up springfield and in that version we would talk to all of our favorite types of um musicians and artists and sometimes people on the simpsons but but really it was just kind of about you know all the fun cool people that we know talking about what is your favorite episode of the simpsons and after a while a lot of people's favorite episodes would get picked or they would you know they would have been like a a teenage fan and then they ended up touring and doing their own thing for a while and so we eventually decided like let's actually only talk to Simpsons people and call it Round Springfield where we will talk to them about you know the stuff that they do um that got them here and post the Simpsons depending on where they're at in their career and uh it kind of funny enough uh, unfortunately for Mark Marin is a lot like WTF but it's only about <laughs> Simpsons people and, and we're two ladies so I think that we have an upper hand there but <laughs> basically Matt we would love to start somewhat chronologically and, and hear a little bit about your childhood and you know I know that uh, you had a character that you drew called Melvin that I want to hear about and uh, just get some ideas of of what your upbringing was like that led you to to become Matt Groening. Uh, I had a, uh, an, a fairly idyllic childhood uh, growing up in Portland, Oregon, uh, in the um, in the woods 
almost all of Portland is woods, but there's even more woodsy parts. And that's uh, one of the places I grew up in, very near a two zoos. There was what we call the old zoo, which was shut down when I was five, and the new zoo, which was in the opposite direction of my house, another half mile. And so I grew up running around in the forest with my little friends, and we would break into the old zoo, which was, ab <laughs> which was abandoned, and we, we were uh, little enough so that we could slip through the bars of the cages, and we would have just this most amazing game of pretending to be hunting animals or being hunted or army games. And we played in the side of this hill that had, was a grizzly bear, full of grizzly bear caves and oh my God. Bo bones. Wow. And, and But here's the part I'm not really proud of, and I can't believe I did this. <laughs> we actually swam in the grizzly bear pool. Oh, which my was, God. Which was which was green. The water was <laughs> was green, like like bad 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 uh, fluorescent Kool Aid. And I I can't believe uh, we sur we survived. Do you go through puberty and find that there were extra like maladies <laughs> that you were suffering from on top of normal like coming? Of no, <laughs> no, just just, just the usual oh, ones. Oh, good, thank you know. God. <laughs> uh, and anyway, so. So uh, my dad, uh, Homer, uh, was, uh, uh, was a cartoonist and filmmaker. He made surfing movies and, and paid the rent by doing advertising for Jansen Sportswear. So, cool. uh, so I grew up uh, with, um, with a lot of swimsuits and, uh, <laughs> and my parents would go off to Hawaii uh, for a month every summer and leave the kids behind. And we'd always have weird babysitters, which ended up in the very early episode wow. with the babysitter bandit. In Love fact, the, the, na the name of the babysitter was named after the woman who babysat us, who I loved. Oh but my I had God. some really weird babysitters growing up. <laughs> For uh, a month? That is insane. That is yeah, some pre 9 11 shit, too. <laughs> it is definitely from a different time period. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's yes. So I, I had one babysitter who was like uh, Nurse Ratchet in in uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> he basically wore a white un nurse's uniform, a babysitter. And the second my my parents walked out the door, she pulled out a book and said, "We're going to learn the science of psycho cybernetics." Fun. And, and as a kid, <laughs> I all I saw was the word psycho. I, I, so, True. <laughs> yes. And then. At the time, there was some kind of serial killer who would leave body parts lying around the city, and the babysitter used to read us the uh, the uh, news reports in the daily newspaper, and then send us outside to play and lock the doors behind. That's yeah. amazing. You grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which is, I think, the murder capital of the world, so there feels like there's something else going on too maybe one of your babysitters was a zodiac killer i'm not saying that they actually were i'm just saying maybe <laughs> you know i don't know <laughs> it, it was <laughs> uh, yes i think you're right i okay yeah. great the north the northwest I was waiting is very, for a confirmation <laughs> the, the northwest is a, is a strange place yeah but, yes just in terms of of what the simpsons 
is in terms of like, you know, it's, it's following a, a dysfunctional family who's trying to be normal, really. And it feels like there's obviously, especially in the nineties and, and, you know, late eighties, like the idea of Bart being someone who stands out so much and just kind of is a bit of a maverick and, and doesn't have this concern for being, you know, fitting in, in a lot of ways. I just think that's it. One, it's a great message for anybody, but it seems like it makes a lot of sense that, that you would have a show that was like that since your childhood does not sound exactly what I would predict. You know, it's not like the beavers. It's not like a super conventional, like the Mm -hmm. dad goes to work and has not a funny bone in his body and he's not super, you know, dry. And it sounds like you have a, a pretty, not out there family, but how, how, how unusual would you say your family was in comparison to people not in Portland, for example, or did you not realize because, you know, you only know what you know. I, I loved the family. We have we had five kids in the family. I have two sisters, Lisa and Maggie, named characters after them. Uh, my mother's name is Margaret. Obviously, uh, Marge was, I thought, a slightly funnier variation. Uh, uh, and and uh, I have an older brother, Patty, older brother, uh, older sister, Patty, and an older <laughs> brother, Mark. I was afraid of them. In fact, to the extent that I decided not to name any characters after them. <laughs> Although Pat, Patty and Selma, my sister Patty, was convinced that 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 was based on her, and um, I did not name those characters. So oh, I, I'm so going to deny this forever. <laughs> that's great. So you started drawing probably quite young, just because of what your dad did. Uh, how involved was he in terms of of letting you kind of explore your creativity and and just kind of showing you the ropes? And how much was it stuff that you picked up on your own? I would say most of it I picked up on my own. But he he was he he gave me uh, art supplies and and encouraged me to draw and gave me sketchbooks and encouraged that. Uh, but most of the, I remember being, being inspired by being bored in school. I remember the very first day of first grade, uh, being bored and to, in order to, uh, get through the day, I, I drew constantly. So there, that's, there that's, really is, uh, is something important about boredom. I think that yeah. it's, it's something that I, I sometimes I'm not a parent now, so I don't really know, but it, it feels like something that I would want to have uh, a part of my kid's life is some area where they would be so bored that they would be forced to entertain themselves. You know, mm-hmm. that's certainly a big part of my childhood. And, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm of a generation where like, you know, I grew up with with a lot of uh, pop culture at my fingertips, but also, you know, the internet wasn't fully formed yet. And it was mostly like boring summers where I would have nothing to do and I would just start writing songs and try to amuse myself. I think that's pretty crucial. Yeah. And being lonely is also a, a good one for creativity, I would say. Uh, Matt, with siblings, did you ever experience much time to yourself or were you often kind of uh, hanging out with your siblings or other friends? I loved solitude. I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't even think that it was that it could be called loneliness. I just thought <laughs> right. Uh, in fact, I, I spent a good de- uh, time, amount of time wandering through the woods to get to my friends' houses who lived very far away, uh, and they wouldn't come to my house, so I had to I had to um, w- walk by myself in the woods. I suppose you could <laughs> consider that lonely, but I liked it. No, yeah. I totally feel you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's a piece to that. I, you know, one of the many many things that I miss of our pre-COVID world, um, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about like you know 
being in school or just like those moments that when you're not an adult and you just have like the task at hand in front of you, you have to take long bus rides or you have to take long walks to school or to your friend's house. I miss that moment of peace. Like I wouldn't call it loneliness. It's just like this breath in between doing all these other random things that I feel like you're truly, if you're creative, that's when you really access that part of you. That's like the imaginative part that allows you to create. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, um, uh, also, uh, you have your, you have your, uh, inputs in, in life that made you creative, but I had much fewer. There were, there were three channels, uh, on TV. <laughs> yeah. And I actually think that, that my generation is, became more obsessed with TV than, than younger generations, because there were only three channels, uh, three networks. And so you had to really really hunt to find something good and we would <laughs> yeah. we would watch tv for an hour and a half waiting for the good thing to come on and That's great. it was it was uh there was a lot of bad tv we watched <laughs> as a result and portland in particular i was all over the country at the time um there were all these uh after school uh kid shows early morning before school and after school with with generally with um uh, male host, although in one case there was a woman named Wanda Wanda, um, who who was kind of a witch, uh, who uh, cool. told stories. Yeah, <laughs> but she did. She wasn't interesting because she didn't show cartoons. Unlike Mr. Duffy from Cartoon Circus, who was a a circus ringmaster who showed all sorts of cartoons. And uh, what else? Heck Harper was a cowboy, singing cowboy, who uh, who who uh, again all cartoons. And I grew up with watching those like crazy. And then in the fourth grade, uh, my, my friends, uh, D Tim Duncan and Eric Smith, we used to hang out near a TV station. And at noon, there was a mad scientist cartoon show uh, called Dr. Zoom. And Dr. <laughs> Zoom had a stethoscope and he would take uh, guests, uh, kids that showed up to the show and, uh, and then put the stethoscope up to their noggin and play sound effects records. Oh, and amazing! My, that. my friends and I went every day, and That's we were the so only fun. only kids who showed up. So we were on his show every day in the summer. Oh my god! So that oh, that's great. amazing. I wonder if there are uh, any if there's footage of that at all that you could find. Yeah, uh, that that would be great. That That'd would be, be incredible. Great. That's so fun. I obviously, you know, I was born in 1991. Julia, not that much earlier not 1988 i'm repping the last dregs of the 80s <laughs> right. so the simpsons and already existed it's I wild know. <laughs> i know um you've never known a world without the simpsons and i wow. hope for better or worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh but you know even even i have a little bit certainly not three networks there's always been a ton of stuff but um I relate to just uh, like the shows that I would watch when I got home from school were really just the shows that were on, you know, it was just kind mm -hmm. of like, well, I walk home and I get home by three 30 and that's when spin cities on. So now spin cities, my favorite show. Right. Mine so was, was kids in the hall and old <laughs> right. SNL reruns. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you had good taste. Absolutely. Yeah. And Thank I think you. that, um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, th- I think that there's obviously, I mean, we're speaking as hosts of a Simpsons podcast, but there's obviously something so special about finding a friend who shares a niche, a niche love with you, like something that's just kind of like something that's like kids in the hall, for example, like right. for people our age, like maybe not everyone who's in their late 20s, early 30s loves, you know, old stuff and not the kids in the hall is like old, but it's always really, it makes you feel like, Hey, we have a shorthand and now I know that I'm going to like you. And like Julia and I both love Jack Benny. And like, we both love like Mel Blanc and like, we love Looney Tunes and some of the older stuff that like our grandparents liked. And so, you know, it's just a nice little way of being like, okay, we're going to be friends. Right. And I think that there is like, um, you know, uh, a parallel to not necessarily that it's the same as like having three channels and, you know, you're seeking out something. But I think that there is a similar hunt for things, especially in like this really crowded world of streaming and, you know, cable and all these things. Like, how do you find something that is, you know, not just like ubiquitous, like you have to sort of dig deeper to something that feels more like a bat signal from the creators to you, which, you know, a lot of The Simpsons and a lot of like those other shows were of just like feeling like, oh, this is the kind of humor that I like, or this is the kind of, you know, stories that I I like. And, you know, there is the inherent risk of those stories being so wild and out there but it the payoff of having other people look to it as the bat signal is so strong you know that's really interesting you say that because as a kid i developed this theory that humor was uh, a language and yeah. that it's like a bat signal in that you 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 throw out jokes or or references to the things that you like and see if anyone picks up on it. And it's amazing how few people do because they don't they don't have they don't have the language. And, exactly. and and when you find somebody who gets the language, they become lifelong friends. So that's Absolutely. really that's really good. There's like sub dialects to that too. I have an ongoing argument with a friend of mine whose opinion and taste I normally respect, but in this argument I do not because he's a fan of scatological humor and I find it to be the lowest of the low (laughs) unless it's like the most (laughs) artful fart joke and we get into a really silly argument about that but even as I'm participating in the silly argument I have to take a moment and think to myself like what are we doing and how funny is it that we're this passionate about humor to start (laughs) like that we're like listen motherfucker like getting in each other's you're absolutely (laughs) right about uh, uh, yes yes there are dialects I agree I agree Yes. Yeah. And and am I right in my position in the argument, Matt? Uh, <laughs> yes. You, 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 you tend to be right. I would say, I, you know, that here's the thing on, on the Simpsons over the years at the beginning of the, of this series, I'd say, whatever we do, don't do a joke about, I would say, right. And, <laughs> right. and it was, it was, it was fart jokes and Hitler were, were my two pet peeves. And of course the writers, <laughs> they took it as a challenge Did, yeah it was a challenge yeah, yeah so uh so the simpsons probably had more hitler jokes not so many of the fart jokes but more hitler jokes in the first several years basically basically in defiance of my of my um, right right irritation. well that's five emmys worth alone in the hitler yeah. jokes <laughs> after by the way I, I although i'm not fond of hitler jokes the ones they came up with were really good so Absolutely. there you go 
Sometimes that could be a really great creative challenge. Like when you're given a provision of no, you're like, okay, well, how can we find a yes? Like, yeah, you need a box. You need a box yeah. first, and then you could go outside of it. Yeah, Bill yes. Morrison, who uh, you know, obviously, Matt, uh, when he was running um, Mad Magazine, you know, in the first few early days of kind of talking about like, well, what are some of the guidelines and parameters? What are we trying to do here with this kind of opportunity? He had similar things of just like, you know, we're not going to do like crude humor unless it's so funny that you can't help from laugh. Like if you're going to make a fart joke or you're going to make a joke that's kind of, you know, low hanging fruit, it has to be the best one you've ever heard. <laughs> Otherwise, like, right. don't bother. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like you could nothing is truly off limits if it's funny enough, you know. Right. Right. By the way, can I just uh, uh, praise Mad Magazine? I grew, I grew up with Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine came even before my time. And uh, it was um, it was incredible. It was an incredible yes. magazine. And it was really amazing. You know, the good early episodes of The Simpsons? The good early <laughs> issues of Mad. <laughs> it's true, the good, it's true. It, it, the Mad Comics, uh, you know, edited by and written by Harvey Kurtzman and with all those amazing uh, artists, uh, Bill Elder and... and uh, uh, Jack Davis, Davis. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all those guys, unbelievable. So the good. Best. And the best. And, you know, and Don, Don Martin later. Wow. Really, really good stuff. Oh. And so anyway, so, you know, you get, you grow up, you stop reading mad as a kid and you go on to whatever else. And then I picked it up lately as when Bill Morrison took over and I could not believe how good it was. Thank you. It's fantastic. We were so proud of it. And it's such a drag that basically, you know, uh, and it's funny because when I was working at MAD, I really wasn't, none of us were really allowed to do interviews or talk about the process or, you know, do anything really um, because there's so much corporate red tape, you know, MAD Magazine, like it's not supposed to be owned by a a corporation who's acquired by a bigger corporation, you know, it just felt so corporate and it was such a bummer. Cause like, I imagine had I gotten to be alive and work at mad in the seventies, you know, you would have been able to smoke pot and here you can't even light a candle because like you're not allowed to have a candle at your desk at work. And it was like, there were a lot of weird rules. And fortunately Bill and the team uh, managed to, to get away with and have as much fun as we could, but we definitely have a fantasy of, you know, what could we have done if, if it had been more like how it used to be, you know, to, to not have to follow all these rules really. Cause that's kind of what Matt is about, you know, questioning everything and not having all these limitations. And I'm not even saying in like a PC comedy type of way, just really like not having 30 executives kind of weighing in on what's funny, you know? Uh, but yeah, Bill was great and it was such a cool project. And I really have faith that uh, Mad will get to kind of get some, get another chance again. Right now they're doing mostly uh, curations of old material with a little bit of new stuff. But like Sergio, uh, he was doing art this entire time. And Sergio Aragona is like, he he just had his final issue, which just like, it it breaks my heart because he's he's the king. I love Sergio. He's the king. Sergio Aragones. He, he again for my entire childhood i i loved him and the marginalia and all that stuff and grew and uh yeah my kids who are adults now grew up on him and used, i used to go to comic-con and there he would be there 
you know, sitting behind a little booth table and doing drawings for everyone. Yeah. And, and, and Bongo Comics via uh, Bill Morrison uh, published uh, Aragonese. We, we, um, we, we did our bit. <laughs> He's the best. I um, have a, a funny, funky connection to Matt too. Um, my first writing job ever 10 plus years ago um, was on a show that was uh, produced by Warner Brothers Animation that was supposed to be like an animated Mad magazine. The show was just called Mad. And um, it was an animated sketch show, but, and we all wrote all the sketches except Sergio would just do a spy versus spy and nobody would touch it and there'd be no notes on it and it would be delivered and it would be amazing every time. So it was really cool to just have him on the same payroll as me for a little bit. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. So cool. Well, I, I drove up to Ojai where where uh, he lives in, to see uh, a, he had a gallery show uh, and walked in and of course, all of his art is amazing. And then I noticed that he had drawn on the walls those kinds of very complex Sergio Aragonese cartoons that were going to go away, I guess, when the exhibit closed. But it was absolutely incredible to see the, the gallery walls as a giant Sergio cartoon. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Art is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the first on record to say. <laughs> <laughs> mad, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, mad DNA in the Simpsons. And, and if you look at like the earlier mad movie parodies, they were great in terms of um, you don't necessarily have to have seen the movie to to appreciate what the jokes are and to get what they're doing. And I think that the Simpsons really excelled at making references and, uh, you know, not straight on parodies, but like, you know, having these um aspects of other stuff uh that right. you didn't have to get that it's a twilight zone reference or you don't have to get that it's this to, yeah. to make it funny and i think that that's always really impressive and, and kind of hard to do the reference is not the punchline yeah 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 they they i grow up you know reading those mad parodies of movies or tv shows that i was not familiar with that they were they were aimed at grown-ups and I'm not sure I've never articulated this before, but I think that that's definitely part of the Simpsons is that every joke doesn't have to be understood by every person. It doesn't matter because there's yes. another joke coming along. And also maybe you will later in your life, you will watch uh, Citizen Kane and see <laughs> the, the, the 25 references to it in the Simpsons. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know in, uh, in various interviews, you've talked about kind of, um, having some similarities with Bart and, you know, not being an excellent student like Lisa, for example. And, and I'd really like to hear about kind of some of the uh, middle school, high school days and, and just kind of what you were walking around with, what energy, what attitude, what you were hoping to get out of life at that time. What kind of hellraiser were you? <laughs> what kind of sicko were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, I was a wise ass. Uh, I was a clown. Uh, in, and I would, I would, uh, if somebody else was in the class who would make jokes or would uh, be bad or whatever, then I didn't. I felt okay. That that is taken care of. I'll do something different. But if right. there was nobody there to provide that service, I would, I would jump in. And mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, I, I was a, a smart aleck, and and I got in trouble for my my for being a wise ass. That's mostly what. I mean, I didn't do, I, I didn't do that much you know, vandalism or physical 
<laughs> physical stuff. I was not yeah. a bully. I was not a bully, <laughs> but I, um, I, I experimented. I, I had a, I had a, uh, in the, uh, fourth grade, uh, I had a, a, an apple in my lunch and it was rotten. And so I, as an experiment, uh, I, I threw the apple straight up in the air. I, I didn't know where, where it would land. <laughs> and, and it hit a, a little girl in the head and, oh, no. uh, and I got in trouble. And so I had to write an essay, uh, you know, what, why not to throw ro rotten apples? Uh, I wrote an essay in which it was like a Rube Goldberg thing. Do you, it's important not to write a, uh, throw a rotten apple because it might hit a girl in the head and then, uh, you know, roll down the pavement and across and run into a bus. The bus would skid out of control, killing 12 people and, you know, house catch on fire, blah, blah, blah. And that's, but that's the first time I got suspended from school. So there that's you go. That should be a children's book, though. I love that. That's like if you give that's them a good idea. cookie. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Teaching kids run on sentences and stream of consciousness writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Matt, we uh, we know that you've you've had a couple of standard jobs for teenagers, I guess, but we want to talk about them with you, and uh, we want to know about kind of licorice pizza. We want to know about uh, bussing tables, that type of thing. Um, Tell us a little bit about that time in your life and, and, and what you were doing creatively as well. Well, uh, my parents uh, were a, 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 a mass of contradictions. In some ways, they were very liberal, uh, but in others, they were very stern. And they got mad at me that, uh, on the first day of summer when I was 13. They said, you got to get up and get a job. It, and... Um, Happy and, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, um, you know, I, I said, I don't know how to get a job. And they said, if you, you get up at dawn, I'm not kidding. This is what, what my mom said. Get up at dawn. And my dad piped in and you go out and you pound the pavement and you don't come home until you have a job. And I oh said, my God. get up at dawn. <laughs> there's, Let's there's, open at there, dawn. There, there's nothing <laughs> open. Yeah. And so then the next you know, they got, they woke me up the next day, uh, at dawn <laughs> and I went, what the heck? And I, and I walked down to the local grocery store and put up a sign in the, you know, in the window, it said, I will do anything for money. And I put, you know, <laughs> my name and a phone number and I went home and went back to bed and, uh, and waited for the phone to ring. And they were so mad at me for bringing shame and, and embarrassment <laughs> to the family for saying that I would do anything for money. And, and, uh, yeah, but I ended up, I ended up getting a job that summer. Uh, there was, there was a program for poor kids. I wasn't really a poor kid. Uh, but I got in on this program and I would have to basically get up at dawn and go, <laughs> go, uh, uh, hike to a to a high school where a school bus would pick up me and all these other kids and take us to a cemetery on the other side of town where we would straighten gravestones that had had walked had tilted to the side so that it would be easier to mow the lawns wow yeah <laughs> i would never have guessed that that was a profession <laughs> it was so uh bad and 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 our supervisor was this guy that um, he would say we'd have a big pound of dirt and we were uh, a mound of dirt and we would uh, have to um, spread the dirt around and then when that when the mound of dirt was gone we got to rest until the next the dump truck came on with more dirt and so he hid the dump trucks around the corner 
And just the second we finished with the dirt, they would bring the next dump truck over. It was just... I mean, that sucks for you, but that's a fun <laughs> game for him. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. And and I remember getting in trouble because he said, he, he yelled, all right, groaning, get the clods out, clods, the dirt clods, so that the dirt was smooth, right? Get the clods out. You're supposed to beat on the clods of dirt with your shovel until they're all smooth. <laughs> smooth oh he said all right get the get the clods out groaning and i said okay jeff johnson joey you're out of here see because they're clods all out mad magazine remember mad magazine right. said you clod that's great <clears throat> so i was a, yeah, that was the kind of uh humor that he, and he did not understand the language the language he didn't of humor, speak the language of, of, of ridicule yes <laughs> uh you know, I, I think those jobs are good too. Like, I think just that time in your life is great. Like when you're not making very much money, uh, you just have a lot of passion for your hobbies and creativity. And it's just a good time to be creative because you're not fulfilled in your job. So hopefully you're finding fulfillment elsewhere. And it seems like a great time to be, you know, learning a learning about something about yourself that you love to do. Um, so Matt, yes, uh, do, yes. Doing what you don't want to do is a big <laughs> clue as to what you do want to do. It makes it totally. makes you realize, yes, yes. Yeah, like I don't want to do this forever. So uh, we talked earlier about how we have uh, this podcast gave us an opportunity to uh, write a book called uh, "100 Things Simpsons Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." I get the title wrong almost every time. It's way too long. <laughs> you did great. That was a great <laughs> job you just <laughs> did. <laughs> but in it, you know, we talk about like what are some of the fun things that folks should try and do. And one of the chapters that I wrote was uh, was to read uh, "Life in Hell" and was to read the different in hell. Uh, or hell comics of yours, uh, which are so great. And I assume that most uh, Simpsons fans uh, are at least familiar uh, with the with the series, but I just want to talk about them a little bit because they're so cool. And I think that especially for, for people even younger than me and Julia, like, you know, the Simpsons is so insanely popular and there's a theme park and a movie and it's so huge that the idea of it coming from this indie alt, like, comic it might be kind of foreign to them and, and might be kind of cool to realize like yeah no he he's like a punk guy he's like a punk rocker in a way you know right um right. and and i think that that's uh one they're great and as someone who grew up on my mad magazine like my dad's issues and and i have always loved graphic novels and you know i might not be the most well-read uh in terms of uh books with words, but in terms of books with pictures, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty on top of it. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of hear about your time as a, as an up and coming comic, uh, comic artist. Well, uh, I, I was drawing comics, uh, from the fifth or sixth grade on that's where Melvin of Melvin and Mugambi was sort of the early version of Bart, uh, came from. And then in high school, I drew a comic strip just for myself and the little, uh, made little comics, called Tales of the Enchanted Forest, which some components of have ended up in Disenchantment, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the Netflix series. Uh, and then in college, I met Linda Berry, uh, I the cartoonist, and she is yeah. the best. She is the best, and she was so funny. Uh, and uh, I got to meet her because I had I'd heard that uh, there was a, a girl in the dorms who had written to Joseph Heller, uh, <laughs> uh, and received a reply. 
So I had to track down this person and it was Linda Berry. And, and this was after, this was before his second novel came out, uh, something happened. So it was all, you know, her, 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 uh, her letter was all about Catch-22 and she said that it was her favorite book and, and she wanted to know if uh, it, she, want, she asked uh, Heller to marry her. And, and he <laughs> That's said, incredible. He said, he wrote back and said, uh, I don't think there's room for the two of us in your dorm. So it's good for him. And, I would have written no diamond, no dice, but you know, <laughs> anyway, she was really funny. She was doing comics. And at the time there was really no comic scene, uh, um, the underground comics of Arkham and, and uh, all those Arkham. guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. th those had come and gone for the most part. And so there was no scene and, and Linda started doing her comics and I started doing mine. Uh, at, at this little college, Evergreen State College, no grades, no required courses. Uh, fantastic. I highly recommend it to all creative weirdos. So yeah. it's a it's well, college a, it's is a, fake anyway. So <laughs> might as well just have a, a experience where you're able to just be creative and free. Yeah, well, you know what? It turned out that what if you're if you don't have any rules or have very few rules, then you quickly learn that when you're just fooling around and goofing off and stuff, you're just wasting uh, your time. Now, back then, <laughs> the 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 money the 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 tuition was so cheap that uh, it, it was fine to to goof off a little. I, at, <laughs> right. at, at the at the the prices these days, I would I don't know how how you. I don't know right. how you would do it. It sucks. Um, I should back up yeah. what I said earlier, because if my mom is listening, college is not fake. And I'm very happy that I went. Um, I'm proud of my degree. And um, I've used it every day of my life. Anyway, yeah, uh, I dropped out. But uh, my dad has since, uh, has since he is a daughter now who's um, four. And so he has said of her, like, I'm going to make sure she doesn't go to college. And like, that's a little too far. Like, just say that she doesn't have to. Don't force her not to. <laughs> right. She's always going to swing the other way to rebel in some way. <laughs> right, exactly. My, my parents hated Evergreen. They thought I was throwing my life away. They said it was uh, They said it was a waste of time. And um, and, uh, and I ended up being the, the editor of the college newspaper. And they were friends with, my parents were friends with the people that ran uh, the Oregonian, which was the big daily paper in Portland. And they showed uh, my parents the paper uh, that I edited, and uh, it was kind of it was kind of underground. Uh, and they said that I was so bad that I would I would never get a job in journalism. And and my my, my parents my parents were ashamed of me. So wow, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> So it's again, again, it's it's a it's a mixed it's a mixed message again for my parents. My parents were very liberal in some ways and very uh, contradictory, and right. um, and this idea really, I'm I'm not going to get a job in journalism. I'm throwing my life away. It just seemed it seemed a bit much. And combining that with again, I told you my father was a filmmaker, and he was a filmmaker uh, who uh, refused to collaborate. He would he would do everything on his own. So he would be lugging around a 16 millimeter Aeroflex camera with a Nagra tape recorder uh, over his shoulder with no crew. And that's how he would make, make movies. Wow. And, um, and I, and we, and he loved animation. And I talked to him, I said, would you ever do animation? He goes, no, too many cooks. 
to, you know, he says, I don't believe in committees. Nothing good ever came out of a committee. He was very, very disdainful. So part of me is, has that in my, in my gut, you know, oh, you can't, you can't work with other people. You got to do it on your own. And that's what life in hell was. And I did that for a long time. And, but of course, animation is a complete collaboration and it is so, it's so much fun to share a vision with a bunch of people and come up with something better than you could have come up by yourself. It's really yeah. great. Yeah, Absolutely. in a lot of ways, it's like music where like, of course, being a solo artist is incredible, but like to have a full band and to have everybody adding their own thing to it that, you know, you couldn't have even thought of yourself. It's unlike anything, like to to have someone hear things differently and to add their own perspective and to, you know, to bring to it this thing that makes a song or a show, whatever it is, like, it's it's unparalleled. I mean, right. benefits to both, of course, but mm-hmm. what a magical thing when you find your your team, you know? And the trusting of the other people that have their own instruments in that band to just do their thing and not, you know, interfere. There's such there's like a magical openness to being on that side of the table, being like, let's just make this thing the best that it can be. And then the closeness of the committee is usually the studio or (laughs) the suits, the people with money. But when you're in the openness, it's so much fun. I love it. Uh, Musically though, like, you know, Matt, it's awesome that both Danny Elfman and Mark Mothersbaugh do your themes. Like what a wild and amazing contribution to society that has been, you know, like Danny Elfman's just the ultimate, of course, Oingo Boingo is fantastic, but how cool. Um, in fact, just really quickly, uh, tangentially, like I went recently to see before the pandemic, like Paul Rubens did a screening of Pee Wee, and there was a lot of footage from the first night of the, of the premiere in Hollywood. And it was really funny because you heard an interview with with Danny Elfman explaining kind of like it blew my mind that anyone was asking me to write like a score. I like, I don't do that. That's not what I do. (laughs) And it's just so incredible to see that now because yeah, that is what you do. You're pretty famous for it. Um, And it's amazing just to see someone as incredible as Danny Elfman, like kind of at the beginning of this new chapter that he didn't know was going to become something. And uh, it's always fun as a, as a fan of somebody to see, to see like the moment that their life changed, you know, the score, the score for Pee Wee's big adventure is what made me want to use Danny Elfman for the Simpsons. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's iconic every, uh, well, not anymore, I guess, but every Halloween, typically Danny Elfman has like a show at the, um, I forget where, but he does maybe, yeah, he has a show Mm -hmm. where he does all of his, all of his tunes and it's a fun little Halloween tradition. Yeah. I love Um, that lesson of him saying, that's not what I do. Yeah. And then, of course, like we now have the perspective of, you know, looking back. But I, I feel like just that when you find yourself in a position as a creative going, no, no, no. But I like opportunities knocking for this one thing. But that's not that's not me. You could surprise yourself by saying yes to it. And then you open this door that could lead to this like, you know, vast riches of, oh, yeah. I'm not only good at this, but I'm the best at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's documented, but before Oingo Boingo, uh, Danny had the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, which was this <laughs> big band where he was a kind of a a Cab Calloway uh, devil character in a in a white tux, and they it was it was an unbelievable uh, vaudeville show 
that I saw a number of times at Whiskey A Go Go and at the Fox Venice Movie Theater and uh, just incredible. So when he says, I don't do this, he kind of <laughs> was doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just he wasn't fully aware or was, you know, aiming for that maybe. And I, I, remember hearing about that i grew up uh as a ska kid so hearing stories about denny elfman and noigo boingo was sort of constantly talked about um that must have been amazing i wish i could have seen it oh when when we were looking for a composer for the for the uh simpsons theme uh, i made a little mixtape uh of the things i liked we had some nino rota uh scores from fellini movies and it Love had the Fellini. it had the uh the theme to the jetsons uh, by Hoyt Curtin and a bunch of other things. And I tried different uh, different composers, including, I don't know, do you know who John Zorn is? No. The name sounds familiar. John Zorn is an avant-garde avant uh, mm. genius in New York who does has just, just this absolutely amazing uh, widest range of, of material from full orchestral works to honking, screeching, you know, noise. <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted him I wanted him to be a composer and he sent me the scronkiest, craziest tape back, a little cassette. <laughs> and and I played it for the people, you know, at the at the show and they they just said no. They just said no, there's no no way. So we went like, a slightly more scronky. organized way. That's wasn't yeah. scronky enough. <laughs> uh scronky is a great word. It is a great yeah. word. Oh, and Mark Motherspaugh. So Devo um, moved from Ohio to LA and I, I saw them over and over and over again. And they were, they were so funny and uh, it was just a real treat. And it was, it was even within the punk world, they're a little controversial because they weren't, you know, they, they weren't, uh, uh, they weren't pogoing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah, they're the best. I grew up, like I said, in the ska scene in Orange County, um, the early aughts, and uh, the Aquabats were a big part of my life. And then I eventually got to work on their show. But they, there's like a direct line from Devo to the Aquabats. And like, if you like them, then you like all of it, which is so great. Like you get to see the influences from the different generations of, you know, whether it's a band or a TV show or a movie, you get to see sort of how that's percolated. And I, I love that. I don't know. What am I? I saying? love the I love the Aquabats. I used <laughs> Do you? to uh, yes. I used to go. Uh, basically, I used to go and and then look around and realize I am the oldest person here in the, <laughs> in the crowd. But yeah, I I, I love. I they love put Scott. on a good show. They're still rocking. Well, when, when I was working at the Licorice Pizza record store across the street from the Whiskey Go Go, that's where I saw uh, Madness uh, and yeah. the Specials. I mean, the really early oh, the two tone the two tone bands. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. That's that's incredible. I, uh, Julia, I feel like you and I relate to to, and Matt, you relate to this too. I'm sure of just kind of always wishing that you could have been at a certain place, you know, at a, at a different time. Like how cool it would have been to see certain bands play, and you right. know, whatever the thing is. I have so much envy over people who, like, for example, got to see the Beatles and like that type of thing. But fortunately. Everything's online now, so you could just, <laughs> just pretend. <laughs> I was in grade school. The Beatles came to Portland, Oregon, and um, and I kind of wanted to go, but then 
for whatever reason, I didn't get to go. And then, of course, it was sour grapes. Oh, you can't even hear them anyway because of all the <laughs> all the screaming. You know, exactly. <laughs> However, I have so many people uh, uh, who I was in school with who claim to have gone to see them, and I don't believe. I don't believe it. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um, Matt, I feel like you and I, the very first time that I got to meet you was at a Simpsons uh, like art show. Um, and Julia, I don't know if you were curating stuff for that or running it. Okay. So Julia curating, yeah. uh, co-curated a, a really awesome art gallery uh, and it was at Meltdown Comics, rest in peace. And in um, peace. and uh, Matt, you actually approached me because you liked my shirt and it was, uh, it, it said Simpsonic Youth and it was a mashup of uh, Sonic Youth and The Simpsons. So uh, it was a really cool fake record cover with Bart and Milhouse instead of, uh, you know, the band. And uh, we just we didn't talk about the Simpsons at all. We just talked about music and it was really a blast. And you uh, had a fun uh, anecdote about how you spoke to Sonic Youth and a mention of Courtney Love not being on the Simpsons and stuff like that. And I don't know if you uh, remember that story at all, but it was very fun to get a quick, like, oh, I'm talking to the guy. <laughs> like I'm at this art show cause I like the thing and here's the guy who does the thing. And we're just chatting about music. That's great. It's so clear that you have such a love and passion for music. And I think that shows in, in the work that you do as well. And it's, it's just great. Cause some people they're kind of, they're only one thing, you know, all of their energy goes into the one thing that they right. love and, and you're very multifaceted in terms of your passions. And that really shines through, I think, you know, I, I feel lucky that I get to uh, be creative, you know, in my work. However, I would be very happy just listening to music and reading books and going to movies and stuff. <laughs> oh, that's the I, dream. I, I really, I really, I really love other people's work. You know, I wrote, I wrote it down here, but I don't see where I put it. Yeah, you know, I was so into music that um, in 2003 I got to curate a rock festival uh, in Long Beach. Uh, oh, that's uh, where I'm from. All, all, all tomorrow's parties. Uh, with yeah. Iggy, and the, Iggy and the Stooges and and uh, was Sonic Youth at that one? I th maybe I can't remember. Yes, they were. They were because I remember going into the Queen Mary and going down down into the into the. I'm going to use the wrong terminology here, but going down into the hold and going back where the propeller was, whatever the engine room, and <laughs> yeah. and and with Thurston Moore, and we pried open a door, and they had set it up for their Halloween show i guess they left it up and we got to walk around on oh, these that's always fun. metal metal catwalks with spooky lighting and cool. it was it was really it was really cool yeah that's uh yeah. that's where all of our school dances were <laughs> uh growing up in long beach um and it was always fun i got in trouble once walking around uh, actually i'm not sure if you know luke mcgarry he's a really amazing um Cartoonist, cartoonist as well as really cool um, musician. He and his brother are in a cool band called Pop Noir. But he and I got in trouble once because we were exploring parts of the boat that I guess you're not supposed to because we had heard that it was haunted. Um, mm -hmm. That type of thing. Very fun. Yeah. So uh, Sonic Youth. Uh, yeah. So they did They did my favorite version of the Simpsons theme. Um, and uh, yeah, it, was, it was like, oh, my God, we're hip. We got, <laughs> we got Sonic Youth. We got Sonic Youth. 
That's yeah, great. that's so fun to have those like little gets too, because I mean, obviously, and we'll talk beyond Simpsons because you've done other things. Um, but Simpsons uh, has had so many amazing guest stars, and I'm curious to hear like the moments working on the show or just being in its orbit where you had that like, oh, we have Sonic Youth on, or oh, like what were the big time people for you when you were on the show? Well, back, back at the very beginning of the show, uh, we started getting these these amazing actors uh, and actresses that were iconic. Uh, and yeah, Dustin Hoffman I, really early. That's incredible. Dustin yeah. Hoffman really early. <laughs> and over the years, we had Bob Hope. Uh, so uh, I mean, just things that you just can't, you go, wait, what century is this? You know, uh, right. Bob Hope, Kirk Douglas, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm just naming the ones, um, you know, the dead ones. Um, <laughs> no, and I actually. We have to honor them as per their contract. Yes, we have to honor, honor them. So it's been really cool to get. And, and, and I, I thought, OK, this is going to be our thing. We're going to get we're going to get guests uh, who are uh, always, always iconic. And uh, and that slipped. And we have plenty of great guest voices, but um, they're not always uh they're not always um, uh, the most famous people in the world, but my favorite <laughs> ones now are the are the um, are the truly obscure uh, collaborators. Uh, uh, having uh, Thomas Pinchon, uh, the author, the reclusive yeah. author, on the show. In fact, we had him on twice because I missed the I, I missed the first recording session, and I said I want to meet this guy, so we had him back on, which I thought was really hip to That's have so cool. have a, a guy so so. Um, so rec so reclusive and do, do it twice. Yes. Oh, what a beautiful bird. <laughs> this is, I tried to have the, the nicest uh, um, ringtone possible. Oh my a God, bird, I genuinely bird. thought that was a bird. <laughs> Isn't that good? It's beautiful. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Four stars, four I birds. I thought it was the, the least, uh, least annoying. Yeah, it's um, great. Where were Captain. so? Where were we? Where were we? Um, Guest stars, the obscure ones. Oh, and... Ramones! Ramones were great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go to hell, you old bastard! That was such a great. <laughs> I think uh, they liked us. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that for a lot of people, uh, when you think about fame in terms of like, it'd be so cool to be famous. You know, one of the things that comes with that is just thinking like, I bet I could get into all types of cool things because I'm so famous. Um, and I think that once a person is famous, they probably don't talk about that because it'd be bragging, but I would love for you to brag about what are some cool things that you've gotten to do and see because you're Mac Groening. The best, I have the best kind of fame, uh, in that I can walk down the street and basically not be recognized. So that's nice. Uh, yeah. you know, cause what, you know, if I looked like Bart, it would be, that'd be a nightmare. But that you is know? your weekend look and you do <laughs> yes, walk exactly. around I going, do. fuck you, fuck you. But the, yeah, the yellow makeup though is, is <laughs> takes hours to get on. I know. Um, In this Zoom world, no, please. The best, the best aspect of, I can't even believe I'm admitting this, but the, the best aspect of fame is I have a business card with Bart on it and it means that I can get into any nightclub in the world. That's incredible. I show it to the bouncer and I say, I think I'm on the guest list, and I always am. <laughs> I have to give up the bit. I have to give up the business card, but of course. Uh, I yeah. So anyway, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy, and I'm Taylor Smurl. 
and we host Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. Every week, we share media that made us who we are. Things like Archie Comics, Sailor Moon, and lots of Taylor Swift. And now that Riley's an adult, it comes with 100% more butts. And now I am totally comfortable with it. So check out new episodes of Still Buffering every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Butts, butts, butts. Join in, Riley. Butts, 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 I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. So, Matt, um, I had mentioned earlier that we were all uh, a part of this art show, and I actually didn't even ask you, you know, how was your time there? It's actually pretty cool that you were there in the first place. What was your experience? The the idea of of that the Simpsons has taken on this uh, life of its own and is part of other people's imaginations, and they do their own takeoffs of the show uh, is incredible. This started back when I was doing Life in Hell as a comic strip uh, for the uh, Los Angeles Reader, and I would be walking down the sidewalk in Mel- on Melrose, and I'd see a, 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 pa- a newspaper in the gutter, and there would be my strip sort of like sticking out of the mud, and I'd go, <laughs> oh, I'm famous. I'm part of. I'm part of the. I'm part of the landscape. But the idea of the of the Simpsons and these art shows, and there's there's a, been a number of them, uh, are is just the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I I love it. The other thing that I love is Simpsons trivia night at various uh, bars around the country. And every so often, I look one up. Uh, and find one in some, you know, in Boise, Idaho, whatever, Simpson Trivia Night. And I sign a bunch of posters and I just send it to them Aww. and see, see if see if they if they acknowledge it. No one, no one right. ever has. <laughs> well, on, that, on that topic, you, you used to come by the one that um, I co-hosted at Meltdown with um, my friends John Angaro and Kyle Clark and Adam Murray. We remember you dropping in and it was it was always very special. So thank you. For oh, yeah, that. that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. I wish I could do. I wish I could do more. More of that. I know. Well, in a post-COVID world, stay tuned. Now that I have your email, all bets are off. Okay, <laughs> you are on my spam list. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep sending you whatever strikes me. Please do. <laughs> so uh, it's actually kind of crazy that we've uh, chatted this long without really talking about The Simpsons. But I think it's time that we dive into that topic, and and you know since the show has been on for for as long as it has we imagine that it'd be pretty hard to ask you a question that you haven't been asked already so i'm going to toss it to you matt and say please tell us anything that you would like to about <laughs> the simpsons its origin <laughs> your favorites your least favorites who do you hate who do you you know anything you want well it, you know first of all it's it's a uh, i i actually was arrogant enough at the beginning to think yeah this is going to be hugely successful but i had no idea what that meant and the amount of success that it's had is 
I, I would have to be to be Donald Trump to have that much of an ego to think it would be that <laughs> successful. I mean, it's just just a, just amazing. And mm-hmm. and the fun of it, I told you that my father was very anti-collaboration. And one of the fun things about The Simpsons has been the fact that by definition, it is collaboration. And yeah. from the from the very beginning, we had a bunch of really fortuitous things happened. Uh, the casting of the original of the original actors, uh, Dan Castellaneta as Homer, Julie Kavner as, as uh, Marge, uh, and uh, Yardley Smith, and and Nancy Cartwright as, as Lisa and Bart. Unbelievable. They're perfect. You can't imagine any, anyone better. And, no. and to work with them for more than 30 years is just absolutely staggering. And, and I, I am in awe every time I hear them do the voices. These days, I'm not at the recording sessions, hardly ever, but occasionally. But I used to laugh so hard at Dan Castellaneta doing Krusty the Clown that <laughs> I had to, I had to leave the room. I had to go because yeah. it was it was I would ruin takes because he made me laugh so, so much. And and the other thing is those those actors have they own the characters, and and uh, it's just it's just a thrill. And they're so good at what they do. You know, this many years down the down the line. My my appreciation for the whole collaborative process is just unbounded. I I, I love the writers. I love the the animators um, and all the people. I, I, what's amazing to me is how many people have been there from the beginning and have have hung around. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just incredible. You know, we've gotten the opportunity through this podcast to uh, meet quite a few people, either as, you know, writers or, you know, David Silverman, people on the art side, people on the voice side. And what really has has been incredible for us as fans of the show is just how nice every single person is. And it's not fake nice. It's not, you know, just being polite. Like they seem kind and funny and warm. And they love The Simpsons and they love their work and it really shows. And I don't think, I mean, even though the show is uh, just so popular because of, you know, how great it has been, uh, I think that you couldn't have it last as long if you didn't have a cast that truly just loved it and, and writers and everyone involved from top to bottom that, that really love what it is that they do. And it, it shows, it really Mm -hmm. is incredible. Well, part part of the, part of the secret is the people that write it are funnier than me. <laughs> the people the people that the people that draw it are are better drawers than I am. And then and then at the at the core of it is um is the is, are the showrunners uh, the very showrunners over the years. And but the, going back to the very beginning, you know James L. Brooks, he's an absolute genius for yeah, all of his tele- television work and his uh, movies and all that stuff. But one of the most amazing things from the very beginning. He was able to, uh, off the top of his head, it seemed like off the top of his head, uh, dictate an entire run of dialogue that was absolutely perfect. You know how, you know, being in a writer's room, you you, you piece things together and somebody right. punches it up slightly. He could deliver, uh, again, off the top of his head. And he would say, no, it's got to be said exactly this way. And he would have be very particular in the, in the uh, arrangement wow. of the handles and the this and that and where to put the put the punchline all that stuff he's fantastic and mm-hmm. uh i am still in in awe of him that he is as excited and devoted to the show as he ever was and um and he's done some of he's he's got this kind of um self-assurance but you know he's you know he's he's like me he's one of the older guys and you think okay 
he's not going to pitch the wildest joke. But I remember back when we were doing the Simpsons movie, this is my, one of my favorite jokes ever. He was in the room and, and we had it. We had a, um, we had a, a scene which got completely cut, I believe, in which the Simpsons are running away and they, they climb onto the back of a truck, uh, a, a, a moving van that has the King Tut exhibit inside of it. And, uh, and Bart falls into King Tut's sarcophagus and the, let, the lid slams shut. And, and, he's, and Bart is furiously trying to get out and pounding. And Marge says, Homer, let him out. And Homer says, "March, he's got to get learn to get over his fear of coffins." And <laughs> <That's> so silly. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! I think That's about good. that as like the, the the perfect Homer joke. Yeah, yeah. I know it, it's a collaboration, but I always think of James L. Brooks with injecting the heart that grounds the show. In every episode, you have the moment of like, yes, it's about a family who love each other despite all of these other things attacking them or, you know, themselves like sort of self-imploding or whatever. They love each other. And that's been so inspiring to me as a writer of, you know, always striving to make whatever I'm working on so much better than it quote unquote needs to be because I felt like that was in the DNA of the show from the beginning and you know correct me if I'm wrong I don't feel like anybody at the studio is particularly asking for it to also make you cry or feel <laughs> you know those big feelings yeah well back at the beginning what we were very lucky because um you know it started as little very short cartoons on the Tracy Elman show and and all I was trying to do at the time was to make people remember that they had seen this thing and so they were always really simple sight gags and uh and when we had a chance to turn it into a TV series. Yeah, Jim said, we if, if this is just a cartoon, I'm not interested. But yeah. if we can if we can make people forget they're watching a cartoon, yes, let's do this and let's go for real emotion. He also was fiercely advocating the the uh, the the women in the show. You know, it's really easy, especially if it's a bunch of, of comedy boys, um, to write <laughs> joke for write jokes for Homer and and right. to be and to sort of treat treat Marge and and uh, and uh, and Lisa and Maggie uh, in a more in a more in a more dainty way, be more protective, and 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 it has slipped through in that Marge and Lisa don't have very much physical mayhem happen to them. All the all sure. the true all the true slapstick happens to Bart and Homer and other characters. Mole man. <laughs> in fact, I try. I I said, okay, let's see if we can do it. Uh, in Futurama. So in Futurama, we have, we, we, we throw Leela around quite a bit. And then in, in Disenchantment, uh, the same thing is I try to be equal opportunity uh, puncher uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for, for the other characters, the other female characters. Anyway, getting back. So Jim Brooks was definitely, you know, again, the advocate for the heart of the show, but then the other people that worked on it from the, from the very beginning got it and, and then were able to be super funny. Sam Simon, was there at the very beginning, yeah. uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese, uh, David Silverman. David Silverman and Wes Archer uh, and Bill Kopp did all of the animation when it was on the Tracy Ullman show and they were phenomenal. And a special shout out to uh, an animator, Georgie Pelusi, who is, a, uh, is, the, is the person who made The Simpsons yellow. Um, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, because you know, I had been drawing in black and white my whole my whole life, and so I didn't think of put a hairline on the characters because I was just drawing them in black and white. And so, what do you do? How do you differentiate? How do you do, yeah, how do differentiate <laughs> right. between between skin tone and hair. And and she came up with yellow, and I go, "Yep, that's it." That's wow, it. that's yeah. interesting because yeah, you know there are always these uh, articles that will have like ten things you didn't know about The Simpsons or you know hidden facts, blah blah blah, and. Um, one of them was that uh, you had decided on yellow because it was eye-catching so that if you're like flipping through the channels, it would jump out at you. Is there truth to that or is this? Yes, yes. Okay. That, that, I mean, that's a, that's a reason. It's like, oh, this looks like nothing else. Uh, it really this was, does not. This, this was before SpongeBob. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. SpongeBob ripped off the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Because, you know, because sponges aren't yellow. Oh, wait, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so again, all, all those guys, and if people ask me what my what my favorite Sim Simpsons episodes are, I the, the, the cornball answer is, well, I love the next one, which is true. Oh. But, <laughs> yeah. but those first 13, because uh, we did 13 episodes without a pilot, those 13 episodes are the most vivid to me, even though I think the show got better after that. But they're the most vivid because we, there was so much uh, anxiety um, mm. over those episodes. The whole thing was a, was an experiment. We had all the all the first thirteen episodes written before we saw the the results of the first animation. Wow! So the fact that it worked out and that's what the the, the gigantic success that it became based on those first thirteen episodes. It was all an experiment that worked, and that is basically the story of the series. It really is an experiment, and when I see other cartoons that um, that don't work, quite work, I can usually figure out. I go, I know what they were going for, and they right. didn't anticipate the tone doesn't work with, when you make certain decisions. There's some cartoons, uh, contemporary cartoons, where uh, there's a real uh, uh, wild performance by the main character, and you know it was funny in the room. You know that it, that that when they were auditioning and when they were recording, they're going, "This is hilarious," but just over the top emotion doesn't doesn't cut through in animation. You got to it's got to be modulated. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The voice uh, performances uh, on The Simpsons are always so real, and no matter how heightened the situation is, there's always a human being behind that character choice, and it, it and it really makes them feel like people that you love and root for you know right yep. yeah but it also like going to the collaborative area of like just animation production it took me forever I started writing in animation that's where you know I got my first jobs and I thought I knew but I had no idea of like just how much the comedy hinged on the storyboard artists or the timing of everything and the direction. And like, if you have somebody who is humorless, who doesn't understand like pacing with comedy, that could kill everything. Right. It's insane. It, it could die on the vine. Well, and, 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 ta and tastes have changed too, by the way. So what worked in 1987 is, uh, doesn't necessarily work as well in, in 2020. For instance, Gen and generally, the way we the way we uh, presented the the uh, the show at at first was very proscenium style. It was a flat stage, and the characters moved back and forth on it. And then, very early on in the making of the show, we started to uh, be inspired by great cinema, and and Buster Keaton, and and different camera angles, and parodies of of styles of filmmaking. 
And the other thing that you think of in animation, oh my gosh, what would really be funny is uh, somebody get, being thrown by a catapult uh, you know, to the other side of the mountain. That can be funny, but you can also get as big a laugh out of uh, clumsily uh, eating oatmeal. Very, <laughs> yes. very, very small behavior closely observed. Um, right, right. But I will say that nobody does a catapult joke like the Simpsons. <laughs> I get a laugh every time there's like a pet that gets flung into the air and you hear them sort of like, mm. yes, <laughs> yes. those kind of silly moments are so, so funny to me. The Canyonero uh, commercial for that big car that Krusty was peddling. I love it yeah. every time when the deers go everywhere. It's great. So sometimes yeah. that stuff can just work all the time. They're kind of, um, you know, real life consequences to the absurdism in the animation. So, you know, when when Homer tries to jump the gorge and then he's hitting his head on the way down, you could tell, unlike Bugs Bunny or something, like he's actually getting hurt. <laughs> and like, right. this is going to hurt him the next day, except for that it resets, of course. Um, and so some of the humor to me and like the catapult joke and the deers getting hit is just like, that really hurt that poor animal. <laughs> I know. More pain, more funny. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yes. Oh, you know, I, I said this in, I think in a, in a, um, a DVD commentary once, but we had an episode in which Homer's fighting Smithers of all people. And it's a really, uh, you know, bare knuckled, uh, really, really violent fight. And we're sitting there in the mix trying to figure out how to make it work because it was not funny. It was just creepy. And um, and it, it's Homer going, and, and uh, Harry Shearer going, uh, <laughs> and then we tried all sorts of different things and we finally made, we made the sound effects silly and that didn't work and we couldn't figure out how to work and then just as an experiment i said take out all the sounds of exertion take out all the sounds of anger and only leave in the sounds of pain and once you did that sound effects plus pain was funny and now maybe this is something <laughs> about about me but i think that works and like the, yeah. the 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 anger that's why when homer strangles bart it's First of all, it's an exaggeration, right? It's not. Of course, he's <laughs> not really doing it. It's just for the. It's it's, it's it, uh, anyway. But if Homer does it impulsively, it's funny. But if Homer slowly does it, uh, uh, then it becomes it, the shining, calculated. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really creepy. And there have been a couple of times when I wasn't paying attention, and they've done it in the slow way, and it's like, I don't like it. But <laughs> but when it's Homer's impulsive anger is hilarious. Exactly. Yep. And relatable. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> yes. At least for me, maybe it shouldn't be. <laughs> In fact, the whole thing about Homer, I think part of his appeal is, is, is his impulsiveness, whether it's for, you know, food and donuts and, and yeah, or beer or in. whatever. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And I think it's really vicarious uh, pleasure to watch that. But again, it, I, I would give so much credit to Dan Castellaneta for channeling that original character. He is just amazing. His vocalisms, Homer's short scream, doe, all that so stuff funny. is just absolutely incredible. And and then again, going down the line, Julie Kavner's owns Marge. Yeah. Yardley Smith has has given Lisa soul. And and I think I don't know if the 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 character shaped her, but she seems like Lisa. Harry yes. Shearer, uh, he was he was uh, I was a huge fan of his. Um, before the before he came onto the Simpsons, and 
He's got a show called Le Show, which yeah. he's been doing every week since 1983. So he he beat the whole podcast really uh, yeah. <laughs> thing by by decades. And <laughs> and I've still I still listen to him, and it's it's really funny. Uh, he just had a uh, he had a, a an episode a week or two ago in which he was playing old clips from the Credibility Gap, which was is a comedy troupe that he was in uh, in L.A even before my time. And it was, it was hilarious. And I and, love him. And, and to also to make Harry Shearer laugh is, the, <gasps> is, is a thrill. If you can, you know, he's a, he's a tough audience, but when he laughs, <laughs> it's really good. And back at the beginning, he, he was a, he was a great appreciator of itchy and scratchy. So. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's difficult to, to switch topics because I think, think I speak for our listeners and uh, me and Julia that we could talk about the Simpsons with you for hours, but we would be remiss to not talk about Futurama, uh, yeah. which is so near and dear to us. Um, I want to briefly say, you know, uh, when I first saw Futurama and I was probably, well, what year did Futurama come out? I, I was pretty young. And I think I remember seeing the promo, trying it and thinking like, you know, it looks so much like the Simpsons, but it isn't the Simpsons. So it's probably not going to be for me because I like the Simpsons. And so I just kind of missed out on it. And then years later, I watched it and I felt like the biggest idiot because it was instantly my new favorite show. And I just totally deprived myself of it on a snap judgment that I had as like an 11 year old. But I don't know if I would have gotten it at the appreciation that I had when I came across it because Leela was instantly a hero for me. Lisa had already yeah. been someone I really admired, but Leela just is such a badass, so cool, so strong, so funny, so much agency. You know, she really, you, your shows really have a lot of feminist icons in them and it really is awesome. And even the fact that Nancy Cartwright was Bart was huge as a kid um, to so many girls, you know, to be able to yeah. say like, especially as a little kid, I assume at all times, but maybe it's better now. There would always be a boys versus girls kind of attitude, no matter what. And so, you know, they would say like, well, Bart's cooler than Lisa. I'm like, but Bart's voiced by a woman, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> That's such like a playground mic drop. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and on the flip side, Fry was so cool because in a way he was like a softer, sweeter male yeah. character. Um, and I think for, I'll only speak for me, but Julia, maybe you relate. Most of my earlier crushes were on people like Fry uh, or like oh, Luke yeah. Skywalker instead of Han, you know, like the right. kind oh, of softer, yeah. sweeter guy. And then maybe as you get older, you realize like Han's kind of hot. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, people that are are just kind and sweet and kind of nerdy, really formative for for the types of people I liked as an adult which is kind of funny but Futurama is is so incredible and each time that I rewatch Futurama I, I get something new out of it in the same way that I do with the Simpsons because the rewatchability of these shows with the freeze frames and everything are unreal but let's talk about Futurama because because <laughs> otherwise yeah. I just won't stop <laughs> well you can't you can't really talk about Futurama without talking uh about David X Cohen who uh yeah who basically he's the he's the He's the heart of uh, Futurama, and he and I worked uh, when we were on The Simpsons together. Uh, we work, uh, you know, during lunch breaks and stuff like that on Futurama. And we took like two years of just talking about the show uh, and what we wanted to do. 
and um, and I I always wanted to do a show that was set so far in the future that that it, that we wouldn't catch up with it. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, but that was part of that. And then the, just the idea of of uh, the the uh, person from our time waking up in the in the future. People think of Sleeper, um, but there's also an H.G. Wells story uh, when the sleeper wakes. There's there's a bunch of them uh, like that, and and we thought, oh, the audience is going to need somebody that they can identify with uh, in this future world with cyclopses and lobster creatures and stuff like that. And if we need to explain anything to the audience, he'll be the guy. And it qu quickly became apparent that that was not necessary. That once you were in, you were in. Although I, I, I like Fry too. At first we thought he maybe he was too wimpy. Um, <laughs> uh, I like his wimpiness though. <laughs> Me too. I do too. Not, yeah. I do too. I do too. It's relatable. We're all cowards. <laughs> <laughs> and the casting for Futurama was really tough because we really didn't know, you know, we didn't know what the character should sound like. What does a lobster sound like? What is a, right. what, is, what is Bender? What is Bender? We tried so many different ways of, uh, with Bender, including David Cohen himself actually tried out for the character, but <laughs> he was too robotic. So that's funny. <laughs> but that's what, by the way, that's what most people did when they came in. I am Bender. You know, they did that kind of uh, thing. And then John DiMaggio the came in and just killed it. He's, uh, yeah. he, he, he's, he's, he's so, an so amazing. So amazing. And basically he did a, you know, a kind of a drunk, um, <laughs> Uh, a drunk. And um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it was, um, it was really, it was really a, a, a blast to get up, get it going, even though Fox hated it from the very beginning. We, really? Yeah, we had a, we had a, um, we had a very good pitch meeting because Dave, David and I had been talking about the show for two years. So we had every episode figured out. We had the character designs, we had this, that, and the other. And, you know, and it, by the way, it was, uh, you know, if you can't give the the Simpsons people, uh, another shot, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's a great right. show, but then they hated everything from then on. And they hated the, they hated the, uh, that it was dark. They hated that, mm. uh, there were suicide booths. They hated that it wasn't like the, like the Simpsons and that it was a fam, wasn't a family, uh, set up. They, they didn't get that it was an office. Workplace comedy. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like you, I, I don't know the exact words, but, but something I really like uh, that you said in an interview once, oh, you know what? I think David X. Cohen actually is maybe who told us this because he was actually our first guest on Round Springfield. I believe he shared a story about how people at Fox or some executives were saying, you know, this isn't enough like The Simpsons. And you replied something to the extent of it's exactly like The Simpsons. It's original. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> which I think is very badass. That is a very good yeah, way to respond. that's a good answer. And that's actually, you know, a, a bit tangentially, that's that's how I feel about the new Twin Peaks um, and um, David Lynch and how, you know, a lot of people are upset that the, the newest season is nothing like the original Twin Peaks. But if you expect David Lynch to do what you want, you don't know who David Lynch is, <laughs> like, right. you know? And I love creative people who who are very much not trying to just recreate something they're trying to to add something and, and discover new areas and you know you already have the original thing now it's time to make a new thing 
Well, getting back to yeah. The Simpsons for a second, I mean, people go, oh, this new Simpsons isn't like the old classic ones that I loved when it was a huge, huge fad. Um, that's true. And the, and I, but I think that the one of the reasons why The Simpsons is still uh, on, on the air and still going is because we're continuing to change and reinvent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and that the, the the template for The Simpsons is, is fairly conservative. It's a it's a family sitcom, and then within that we can do whatever we want. And it's a it's a platform to do all kinds of joke telling, from very realistic uh, things to uh, the the couch gags, you know, which are you know making taking the the rules of animation and completely blowing them apart. And the same thing with with uh, with Futurama. It's it's. Um, we try to do all kinds of different episodes. I think some work better than others, but in general, I'm really happy with the show. I will say one big problem, and this is what I would say to anybody who's trying to create an animated show, is if you're doing a parody of genre, in our case, science fiction, you limit the number of jokes you can do. It's just, you, mm -hmm. really, have, you really have to try hard to, to uh, figure out how to get the, the kinds of, of free jokes you get out of a, out of the Simpsons, which is contemporary America. And um, Futurama, you still have to, you still have to uh, address the needs of genre. And science fiction comedy is not easy. Let's <laughs> say it's not easy. So, um, and, the, and then of course, tip. you went on to do another genre show <laughs> uh, in the fantasy realm. How much of that same limitation do you guys find, do you and Josh find in terms of kind of making it, you know, set in this particular type of land with these types of rules how much does that bump up against you it's re it's really well I, I, this is a story i haven't told i actually pitched uh what became disenchantment as a movie for the simpsons I, I, let's, do, let's do the simpsons in medieval fairy tale land and um you know you know the characters let's let's treat them like the muppets and put them someplace new yeah and, oh my God, I and, love that. and that would be really fun and we could make fun of disney and blah 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 and uh it did not resonate uh with the staff so uh, i said okay and then i i did it for uh for uh, uh netflix so uh, it was a spite pitch yeah spite <laughs> I'll, I'll show you show, i'll show you all <laughs> you motherfuckers i'm gonna no, sign no, no, my no. name on every single piece of paper in the world no 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 it it, it was just that it, i i love the idea and um and I, it just became more fun and that also again the futurama is different from the simpsons as you said workplace comedy as opposed to a family thing we try to tell not just exactly the same jokes. And then it, with Disenchantment, I thought we're in the era of binge watching. So let's tell a, a, a serialized story and let's really embrace that. And people love looking for clues. So we filled the thing with clues. Josh had worked on Gravity Falls. So he was Such used to that kind of- Such a good show, the best. Yeah. And then of course, Josh and I worked together on, on The Simpsons uh, and on Futurama and with Bill Oakley and uh, another genius. Yeah. yeah, so we decided to go this way. And then again, I had such a fun time uh, with Futurama with that cast. It's basically the same cast. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's the Futurama cast, including Lauren Tom and Phil Lamar are in it. They come in a little bit later. And then, um, and then of course, the new people, Eric Andre, Abby Jacobson, Nat Faxon are unbelievable. And, and what, what, what I didn't realize uh, was uh, they're fantastic in that they can improvise because they're writer, writers and directors themselves. And they are, are so funny 
and we we you know we write them speeches and then they and then they take off abby in particular has done some of the best stuff that's coming up you you'll see uh yeah. she's she's uh, done some absolutely amazing work and uh and she makes stuff her own and same with eric andre and, and when we first got eric andre i thought oh my god is he gonna be as crazy as he as he is on the show <laughs> right and i said no 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 you couldn't be that crazy and still function so yeah. he, then I saw him in network TikToks and he's really good. He's, he's, very, yeah. he can be very, he can very be relatively normal. Uh, but <laughs> right. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his and, uh, and he's fantastic. And Nat Faxon has the toughest, he's playing this, this wimpy elf and, <laughs> and he is, he's re really, really, really funny. So, and then, of course, and then, of course, uh, John DiMaggio is the king, King Zog, and he does this gravelly voice that is absolutely fantastic. And, of course, Maurice LaMarche is always brilliant in everything Maurice. he does. And, uh, and uh, David Herman, who's big on, big on Futurama. Uh, yeah. And awesome. Tress McNeil. Tress McNeil is the only, only actor I've worked with on all three, uh, on all three projects. So there you Bingo. go. Bingo. Yeah. She got it. Oh, and I, by uh... the way. Mm -hmm. By the way, I just want to say you. One of the things I want to talk about is um, is uh, in addition to my successes, some of my failures. I'd like to yes, I'd like to do that. So <laughs> to pull the curtain back a little bit, uh, Matt and I had a quick phone call uh, before the show to kind of talk about what is it that we do on this podcast and. We had, uh, I had said, well, you know, we like to kind of let people who are aspiring creatives know that their heroes who have made all their favorite things also struggled along the way and also failed, uh, to which Matt said, well, I've never failed, so that will be perfect. <laughs> and, uh, and it is crazy to think about someone who has your career and your legacy and to, to who have only seen like, wow, he got to make this show and this show and this show, and it's so him and it always looks like his own style and you know, what an amazing life. And so to, to actually find like the human being who has, who has maybe pitched something that didn't go would be awesome to hear about, because I think a lot of people probably have you up on a pedestal and are like, there's no way he's ever, you know, they see you as right. Beatle. <laughs> the thing about failures is, is you sort of blot them out. You go, okay, that's done. I don't ever want to think about that again. Yeah. <laughs> but in animation, I, um, the same time I was doing the uh, working on The Simpsons uh, when it was on the Tracy Ullman show, I developed another another show for for NBC for uh, Saturday morning, and it was about a gang of kids, sort of like The Simpsons if The Simpsons were our gang, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And it was, you only see you only see the the kids' point of view. The adults are off screen, and 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 of course, I'm so commercial that I named a Saturday morning kids show. Melvin's Inferno. So it, it was using that character from from grade school that I did, Melvin. And you know, NBC was like, "What kids are not going to know what the the word Inferno means?" You know. And so anyway, they they ended up not going for it, and they 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 did um, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Bubblegum Hour, or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's something, something. Else. And and it's okay because I didn't have time anyway to do uh, the Simpsons. Uh, and and this show, so that was that was one big failure. I, Is that I, the first I, thing that you took out after having already developed The Simpsons? Yes. Well, it was back, but it was back when The Simpsons was just on the Tracy Ullman show. I got and the, it. and okay. the, and the Tracy Ullman show, you know, at the time the Fox Network was bat, uh, brand new, and it was really unclear how popular The Simpsons was because it was certainly popular on 
on the set where the where the show was filmed, uh, and because the, they'd show the cartoons between changing the stage for the next Tracy Ullman sketch, and um, and the audience seemed to really like it, but we had no, you know, no proof, and so when we finally went to start to develop it as a series, and by the way, Jim Brooks and I demanded that it be 13 episodes and not a pilot. First they said, we just want to do a pilot. And, and my feeling and Jim's as well, is that just one episode was not enough to tell the story of what the show was. Yeah. And that and that even if they did like it, then it'd be another year before we'd have another episode. So they tried to talk us into doing four episodes as a seasonal thing. And we said, no, 13, 13, 13. And then they went for it. So nice. Thank God for that. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that was good. And I, I you know, I think if, if you like the if you like the idea, if I were an executive, I would definitely give people a don't don't make, make people jump through a hoop for a pilot because it's got to got to commit. Gotta yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's so much uncertainty with a pilot, and then you see the pilots that air, or maybe you unearth ones that didn't, and they're the worst episode of the show. Yeah, because yes, it's so are. hard. Overnoted, and everyone's scared about losing their health insurance every minute <laughs> of the day. Not like I relate to any of that. Um, but it's yeah, it's really rough. So with, with Disenchantment, Netflix couldn't have been more supportive. They had a few suggestions i don't even consider them notes they were just things that were obvious and 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 right and so we we addressed their their suggestions and they pretty much left left us alone and it was just the show could didn't have to be 21 minutes long or 20 whatever the network thing we had no commercials and i uh talking with josh uh, having done so many so much network uh animation the idea of not having to break things down for commercial breaks was such a nice relief. And um, and also we decided to go for a different kind of pacing. And I think people, I think a number of people haven't understood what the show is doing. I could, I could easily do with Josh and the other writers, we could easily put together a show that had the same kind of pace and craziness as The Simpsons um, or Futurama. And what, I, what we tried to do is said, let's do a show where we actually slow things down where the characters have conversations. Part of it was inspired by Quentin Tarantino, believe it or not. He, he has what I call campfire conversations where you have a lot of action then you have the characters discussing something that's sort of off topic. And so yeah. we, have a, yes. we have a lot, we actually, we have literal campfire conversations <laughs> uh, where they're at a campfire, but also um, again, changing the pacing, having uh, the, the female, uh, the, main, the main character be a woman, Again, working with genre, but trying to get the emotion in there. Futurama has made people cry. Simpsons occasionally. Uh, Disenchantment will make you cry. Um, Absolutely. I, 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 but you haven't even seen it yet. But there's a, there's some stuff coming up that is that is really in a good way. We're not killing a dog. Yeah. Okay. Which I, I, <laughs> Thank I you. Always thought, I was always. <laughs> uh, I, I, I fought David, David Cohen and, and Eric Kaplan on the on the killing of the dog. On the on the future, on I said you can't you can't kill a dog. You can't do it, especially in the way we did it. We have the dog sitting there, and apparently the dog doesn't it's a, move. It's a famous story, yeah. For right. months, yeah. It's so sad. Yeah, that episode is haunting, but it 
you know, it stands out in a, in a really beautiful way, but I get the reaction I, of just like, you cannot now. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people come up to me and cry in just recounting the episode to me. So and, and, and here, and here's the reason why I'm, why I, I was kind of uh, against it. There was a Japanese movie that came out uh, probably in 1990, maybe the eighties that I went and saw uh, in little Tokyo and it was a it was a, a true story based on a dog who uh, used to go and wait at the train station for his master who would take the train into town. So I went to that movie determined not to cry. I determined I said, I will not cry. It is just a movie. I am not going to cry. The opening shot is a bunch of little puppies playing, and I started sobbing. Just the just the puppies. Uh, and uh yeah. so that's why I don't you know <laughs> they have a giant bronze statue of that dog in Tokyo that you can visit. Yes, yeah. you can. And there's also uh, apparently that story, whether maybe it happens all over the world, but there are other statues of other dogs who have done the same thing. There's so there, Oh, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, you know, who knows? But there, 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 there's one in Scotland and I believe there's one in France too. So mm. Uh, something that I like about, uh, about all the shows, of course, about any show is the relationship between the characters. I mean, that's really what you come back for. No matter how great a premise is, you really are just trying to see people interact with each other. That's what we want to do as humans. And I just really love, uh, I really love getting to see, um, just the way that the stories are unfolding, where you get to see that a character that maybe you thought was evil or a jerk is actually quite layered and has more to them than meets the eye. Uh, and I, I think it's really cool that in a serialized show where you're able to, you know, expand upon your story, you get to, you get to really do that and you get to really understand your characters in a very deep way that, you know, in the Simpsons, like, yeah, you, you get to learn more about Marge, like through flashbacks and you get to certainly understand her over the last 30 years, but I think the fact that Disenchantment has allowed you to know so much about a character in one season, uh, let alone yeah. the most recent, is it's really impressive. And it's it's a new type of experience to to get to know characters like that from, from you. And it's really been exciting. And there's a lot of growth, which is new for a, a show of yours that I love. And I just think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. There, there, there is, yeah, there's an arc to a lot of the characters. Um, Josh and I mapped out a lot of the places that we're going to go. We have an ending in, in mind um, that's not going to be annoying as a lot of uh, endings of series are. Right. Uh, and um, <laughs> No snow globe? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no uh, anyway, the, the biggest, the, cra the crazy, I don't know, did you have a, a, a show that you were in love with and then it broke you? For the way they ended it quite a few i mean quite yes. famously lost really was disappointing and i my cat is named after daniel faraday from lost and that was a hard one for me right the lost the first few seasons whatever were so it was so good so good oh so good and it was so good that I refused. Even when it started to tilt a little bit, I went, no, no, no. They have something in mind. They're going to make I this know. <laughs> I had so much faith. And even though you're at the finale and you're like, there are a lot of questions that they'd have to answer, you're still like, they'll do it. <laughs> and then you right. get what it is. And you're like, Gah. They're your trusting parents. Yeah. However, however, it was still, you know. It was what still. A, what, a, what a phenomenon, you know? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
there, there's a show like that that where it sort of went crazy at the end, but um, which I still love, which is The Prisoner. You probably it's probably way too early for you guys. Yeah, I, I don't know The Prisoner. Oh, The Prisoner is a British uh, show. Uh, that was sort of a, a a ersatz sequel to a show called Secret Agent Man, in which this spy gets uh, sent away to a, a a science fiction prison and how he tries to escape over and over and over again. And it's got oh, a really crazy it's got a really crazy ending. And then years later, uh, I I was listening to a, a discussion of the show, and they revealed something else about the f- the finality that I had never noticed, and and that made me that inspired me in disenchantment with Josh that we've laid in we've laid in some really cool clues that's going to change the meaning of the show after it's all over and you figure out what the oh, with them. that's so fun so it's really that. that's really it's really fun I love so. how much you pay off the nerdy types of viewers who really are always kind of looking for all the you know all the little easter eggs the easter and- eggs yeah well, this wasn't thought out, but the idea of the idea of rewarding people for paying attention has always been seems really a good good way to go. On The Simpsons, you're rewarded if you if you pay attention. It doesn't matter if you don't. If you don't, it's fine. It's a nice, funny little show. But if you're paying attention, <laughs> you're, you're going to get it on a different level. And same thing with mm-hmm. Futurama, and and I think even more so with Disenchantment. Um, yeah. It just. By the way, it takes it takes a year or so to do a single batch of ten episodes. And to find out that people watch them in one binge I know, is, is I know. so sad. Oh my God, that was a year's work and you just spent five hours. Okay. But you know, that's why Netflix has the prompt of watch it again. I know Disenchantment very well. And I have I have watched the the 10 episodes that we've just turned into Netflix. I've watched, I've been binged watched them. Uh, and I go, oh, it works. It works because it's, it's 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 weird because you know obviously we're working on each episode in isolation and um, plus all at the same time. But you you don't know how things are, are going to hold together, and they do. You're right. Think. It must be difficult to difficult and a fun challenge as well to to write things knowing that people are going to watch it all in one sitting or you know in a couple of sittings because you know it it would make you aware of if you have the same type of joke pattern uh from episode to episode and you really have to be aware of like oh we kind of made a joke like that in this episode and now we can't do it ever again because it's gonna be (laughs) that's right 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 the flow of the continuity (laughs) that is very that is very true and uh also we we do things sometimes where we th- we have a throwaway joke that just that has no bigger meaning than the joke itself, and then we then later on we go wait a minute, what if that actually leads to this? We're going to look like geniuses that we <laughs> that we laid it in, and so we we've done quite a quite a bit of that as well. We got a, a few people asking questions to relate to you, and one of the most common questions uh, that people have is if you uh, have any ideas now about how the Simpsons would end. Uh, I know that there was talk at the earlier stage of, of this reveal of, you know, Marge being a rabbit or uh, Homer being crusty and all these really cool things that would have been amazing had it been a shorter run show. But after all these years, it's pro- probably not going to end that way. Although I don't know. Do you have any uh, ideas of how you would want to see it end, whether it's like just a normal old episode or uh, a nod to the Christmas episode, stuff like that? Yeah, I, I would th- think it would probably, yeah, there should be some kind of bookend. Um, I don't have, I, 
we have done ideas that I've had in mind in the regular series. So oh, we can't do that one. <laughs> the idea of the, the rabbit ears thing was just when he was trying to tweak Sam Simon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were, used to be really, really good friends and then uh, go see the Lakers and all this stuff. But then, and then he started, we started insulting each other. And I thought it was a bit, I thought it was, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, oh, this is the, the, you know, the comedy writers, this is what they do. And then it found out he was really mad. So, <laughs> oh, no. oh, oh I just great. I just threw that idea out just to irritate him. So um, right, right. Um, but with that, uh, those like brotherly friendships, those tend to be the temperament of them. Of like you jab them. Well, also, also, I think I, I really think the the Simpsons uh, at the very beginning. We were staying up all night. I would go home early uh, at two o'clock in the morning because my wife was pregnant and had a very had, was having a very difficult pregnancy. So I would leave early, you know, and the other writers would stay till four in the morning. And so I was the lazy one. And um, yeah, I think that irritated a, a number of people. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> right. what, what, what was the question? Um, uh, just the way that you might uh, fantasize the ending of the show. And if you have- Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I would have to think about it. I would, I would want to watch other ends of, of other episodes of other t series and yeah. see- um, you know, because sometimes there's a theory, and the theory sounds great, like the uh, the last episode of Seinfeld. Right. It sounds great, and, and then, then the, the, execution the execution is like, no, that's what we loved about. It. You don't need to be. You don't need to acknowledge right, it. Right. You know? Right. Or like Sopranos, oh. or oh, Sopranos ending. I stuff. think is the best. But yes, I totally it, get that because it refuses <laughs> to end. Yes, I guess in a way. I I I actually interviewed um, David Chase. So I interviewed him uh, on stage and I, uh, I, I really prepared for it well. This is after the show ended I and I had a whole stack of index cards and, I, um, and they're all in chronolog chronological order. And as I was going up on stage, I tripped and I dropped all the index cards and I went flying in different directions. Oh, no. oh and he thought, he thought I was doing a goof. He thought that was funny. <laughs> and so the then- The perfect pratfall. I asked the questions in the order in which I picked up the cards. Like the third question was, so you played saxophone in high school. You know, it was, it was that kind of thing. And then, and then, and so tell me about the ending of the Sopranos was the following question. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I think I, I think I made him mad. Maybe this is sort of the, the uh, through line of this uh, podcast. <laughs> me picking, making people mad. mad. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's very relatable. <laughs> I actually, I have gone, I've gone all, I've taken a 180 on, on the ending of Sopranos. Um, I think he did. I think he is dead. He did it right. I, I think. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Do you? I, I think it's, you know, not to be annoying, but I think it's one of those endings for me, at least that I get the satisfaction over the fact that there's no concrete answer. Like I love the I do too. Doubt yeah. for the same reason. And uh, even though, yes, I think that ultimately it's trying to show you that he's going to die. I think part of the fun in it and what feels so good and kind of sticky in a way is that they always have that level of stress in their life of like uh, their family could end at any second, you know, and they right. always have right. to be paranoid. Um, I actually just watched that show for my very first time last year and it blew me away. I couldn't believe, and it holds it's up so, so well in terms of like, uh, you know, some of that stuff you would think might be dated, but it's, it's perfect and it, it, it's exactly what I love in a show, but did it play? Did it play funny to you? Yeah, 
There are yes. lots of parts yes. that were super it's funny. It's so funny. So super Especially funny. in the early yeah. seasons. Absolutely. When they're just like really going for it. Yeah. I, I This may be something wrong with me, but I experienced a lot of things as comedies. That, me too. That, then I find out that they're, that they, you know, like. There's I humor assume... in everything though. Like everything has something. Uh, and sometimes, you know, even just something could be so bizarre or uncomfortable that it's making me laugh. You know, it's. Yeah, same there's something funny about how crazy it is or how sad it is. Yeah. And I would also imagine like if you are someone whose whole livelihood is centered around comedy that, you know, there is something deeply disturbing living in you that like, at least for me, I have to flip every uncomfortable moment or every like gallows (laughs) humor kind of moment where I'm like, we got to make a joke about this because I don't like to look in the mirror. (laughs) Right, right, right. So... I think that's a good thing. Uh, but but so you think that The Simpsons should end uh, like The Sopranos where Homer may or may not be killed. <laughs> I don't know if we, we actually might. We've done some Sopranos references, and uh, but I um, I think we, no, but no, I don't think we did that exact one. <laughs> well, it's still on the <laughs> that table. That would be then. sad. That would That'd be very, be very sad. sad. <laughs> no, I, don't, um, what I, I guess what I would like is probably some, some show that, um, that sends the characters off into the sunset and you see yeah. you can imagine you can yeah. imagine them having um you know intriguing lives and 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 other characters you know some some of the great secondary characters which by the way that's that's another one of my favorite things about the simpsons is that the writers have developed all the secondary characters and given them things to do and it's amazing we have you know 300 some odd secondary characters and it's amazing how many of them are familiar to the the world yeah and those characters are just as important and beloved as the main cast and like mo is like so beloved mr burns smithers like and even the smaller characters like gill like we love them yeah I was going to say that actually perfectly flows into, um, as Allie mentioned, we had some people online reach out and ask some questions to okay. you by way of us. Um, and so uh, we have at K underscore Yeezy asks, <laughs> which supporting character's popularity surprised you the most? Well, I love my adoration of Millhouse. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, if, if it's as popular as he is in my mind, but Millhouse was created to have for Bart to have somebody to talk to in a Butterfingers commercial. That's the only <laughs> wow. reason. Wow. And, and just the idea of having a a character that is wimpier than virtually every character on the show, <laughs> but so earnest, you know. Yes. But uh, oh, of course, Ralph Wiggum. Uh, Ralph Wiggum is is yeah. un, is unbelievable, and I love him. And uh, and my my take on Ralph is that he's the eternal optimist. And um, and uh, as long as we keep them going that way, I think we're, we're hitting the mark. Right. So the ultimate fool. My favorite. I've said this many times to anyone who asked me, but um, my favorite side character is Chief Wiggum. So I'm I'm in that family. <laughs> the Wiggum family. Well, of course, uh, Hank Azaria, um, uh, Chief Wiggum, and and Hank Hank was uh, Hank came in like I think in episode eight uh, of the show, uh, and it's like to me, he's always the new guy. He's one of those actors who you can give any line to, and he finds an extra laugh that you didn't <laughs> that you didn't even know is there. He is so oh, funny. Yeah, he's so incredible. And I don't know if we dropped this idea, but the original idea was that um, that Chief Wiggum was so stupid that there was this graffiti bandit, Alberto, 
that he could not <laughs> identify. And I think I think we I think we've kept that up. I think that's that they don't, they don't know who El Bardo was. Yeah, that I think that tracks. <laughs> I've seen some El Bardo uh, graffiti out in the wild, and that always makes me happy. I always that's like fun. that type of inside joke type of reference. Yeah, it's uh, that the kind of again when when people take it on their own uh, and and run with it is it is delightful. So murals and bootleg uh, t-shirts and all the, all the rest of that stuff is good. The only thing I have mixed feelings about are the tattoos um, because I go really do you do you really want that a misspelled <laughs> oh no misspelled Matt. <laughs> I have a Simpsons tattoo, <laughs> but it's very cool and it's very classy. But it's very cool. Is it it's spelled correctly? Cool. It, there's no spelling. It is the gummy Venus de Milo on my shoulder. Oh wow! Okay, there you go. So I, I got I got I got it many years ago before, and actually it was right um, when Allie and I met. Uh, I was on my, my way to get it, pretty much. So wow. I'm not sure if you've seen this, Matt, <laughs> but there's an Instagram dedicated entirely to the worst Simpsons tattoos, and they are so funny and sad because yeah. you know that it's on somebody's body. But it'll be it'll be misspellings. It'll be Bart with only three spikes on his head. There will always be something wrong with it, and it is truly. <laughs> art in, in a very weird way <laughs> and there's an account that has good examples That's like true. you know examples that'll make you weep with how <laughs> amazing they are so i i uh i have gone around the world and spoken to audiences and i almost always conclude my presentation with a, a bunch of uh slides of of those bad Simpson tattoos and, <laughs> and it brings down the house. It is the, it's the, it's the laziest acquisition of other people's material and just go click, click, click. And people cannot, cannot believe it. Yeah. It's really great. I love that. That's so great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't have any tattoos. I did say once that if I got a tattoo, it would be um, what Homer has a tattoo of. Uh, which is Starland Vocal Band. <laughs> Starland Vocal Band, they suck. I know, but then at the end of the day, you have an honest-to-God Starland Vocal Band tattoo. And that's why I, I don't do it. That was the stumbling block. Yeah. Uh, Matt, do you have any tattoos? I do not. I No, mm. I do not. Do, do, you, do you think you'll keep it that way? I think I will keep it that way. It's, uh, I, you know, no. You never know. I, I mean, you never know. I won't, but it won't be... It it won't be a Rick and Morty tattoo or a or <laughs> <laughs> no no I love I, 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 oh yeah it won't be no no I love Rick and Morty oh of course it it it, it um it uh, in fact Rick and Morty feels like oh my God we don't have to bring Futurama back Rick and Morty takes <laughs> takes us right. to places we've never been I would still want Futurama to come back just for the record <laughs> I, I I I would too I would too we keep we keep. But uh, David Cohen and I keep talking about it and, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I will kill Justin Roiland if it means that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, you know, you never know. It seems like everything is coming back. So, uh, yeah. Isn't the critic coming back? <laughs> is it? I don't know. It's possible. Like, well, Mission Hill is coming back. We know that. And that's going to be thrilling. That, you know what? It's so fun to uh, to uh, to listen to your podcast with Josh. Because look, I work with Josh every day. We're hours a day looking at each other on Zoom, editing <laughs> yeah. or recording or uh, mixing or whatever. And I thought I knew all of Joe's, uh, Josh's stories. And some of those shows that he worked on, 
make it makes me cry to listen to this the funny the funny <laughs> the fact he i in fact i got him after listening to your podcast a little while ago i didn't know about him going around the u.s trying to cast for the new partridge family yes and, oh yeah <laughs> and just the idea of josh with thousands of people <laughs> i know it makes me because you know what a sweet guy he is oh my god you know right, and, he, yeah, and, totally. and he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings <laughs> I, I know it must have been debilitating yeah the, the future superstar emma stone being in that crop of people him talking to a young emma stone is yes emma stone and and how she was the only good one out yeah, of thousands yeah. of people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i well, relate i relate i don't want to <laughs> tell anybody that their dreams are over i'm just like ah. ha, ha, by the way uh, auditioning is I, I don't know if you guys have ever ever been on the auditioning end of it not 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 yeah. auditioning, but judging. Oh, sure. It's, hor it's horrible. Yes. Par partially because you go, oh, you're you're brilliant. There's nothing wrong with you. You're absolutely good. But this is you're not the right person. Right. Absolutely. I feel that so hard. The um. So as I said, I grew up in the valley. So you know, like I definitely had headshots as a child. Did not book a goddamn thing. <laughs> but that's just what you did for your thirteenth birthday. And the first time that I was on the other side of it, I sold and, and got to make this um, series uh, called Townies, which is, if you can see on the Zoom, it's the poster behind me. Um, uh -huh. It's a series that is the OC in the Old West is about the crazy, sexy teens of the Pioneer era. It's great. Thank you. It's what Al Jean read that got me the script on The Simpsons. But um, Hey, can we talk about that? Yeah. Well, Wait, yeah, fi yeah. Finish, well, first... finish your story and then, yeah. Then yeah, yeah. About... yeah, I was just going to say the, that was the first time that I was on the other side of that audition table and so of course I had like all of those terrible memories of being a kid and auditioning and being so sweaty and nervous you know flooding back to me and I just felt so guilty the entire time I was guilty that like you know people had to drive you know to the valley to go and like wherever they were coming from I I felt bad about like them having to memorize I, I just was the worst person to be behind that <laughs> table and thank god that there was another director there and a casting agent and you know all these other people to actually do you know the like you you're not getting this or you are because I was such a coward about it I was like you guys are great and I don't know you're all going to Hollywood I love <laughs> right, you right, right. Right. So yeah Julia but tell yeah. a little bit about how you got to write on the freaking Simpsons yeah so my whole story just to summarize it as I mentioned like my first writing job was on mad and so I started in um kids animation that was just like the first job that I got and then that get other jobs and then townies was a big breakout for it when i was in college i used to intern at fx and county central and other places but i happened to be getting coffee uh with my old boss at fx and she mentioned oh did you hear that they're looking for like a new writer on the simpsons and immediately i had like three layers of imposter syndrome and was <laughs> like i would never submit <laughs> i don't know and she was you know very I, I owe everything to her her name is kate lambert she still works at fx um she was like you're being ridiculous just submit your stuff or i will for you and you know we'll see how it goes and so i submitted a packet through her and in in that was townies um long story short al Jean read it and liked it and offered me first his email said i'd like um to offer you a simpsons freelance project and i was like i don't know what that is <laughs> <laughs> working on the theme park ride what are we talking about 
and then the second email came and it was the Halloween episode. And so, um, so cool. yeah, it was, it was such a treat to, I binged all of the tree houses. I have said before, it, it felt like watching a Simpsons spinoff that never happened because I was just in the Halloween world. And so that was kind of cool and crazy to just like be, you know, living in that non-canon space. And then, um, yeah, Al asked me to come up with segment pitches I submitted them a couple days before I had a booked day to come into the room and break story with him and Mike Reese and Joel H. Cohen and um, John Frink. And it just felt like I was sitting on Mount Olympus also because it was on the second story of that building in, in the Fox lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you, were, you, yeah. were, you were in the, in the, the sleazy rewrite room. Yeah. yeah. Is there uh, another one? Did I get the sleazy one? <laughs> yes. The, the, yeah, there's one in the uh, Gracie Gracie bungalow that's that's oh, uh, across across the street that's a little nicer. <laughs> no, it's so funny the show the show has been uh, been, you know, around 30 odd years and the quality of the furnishing and the places are <laughs> so bad. When we wrote the Simpsons movie, we thought it was going to take a year to end up taking 4 years, but um we, we were all crowded into a into a way too small uh room that was in the same building that you were in. Uh, oh really? Yeah, and but it, but half the size of that, and all, all, and it was the Simpsons superstars. It was all the the old showrunners, and when somebody had to get up to leave the room, everyone had to stand up so that you could <laughs> no you could get out. Yeah, so it was that tight. It was a booth at a restaurant. That's wild. And we thought we thought um, you know oh well this will this will be over quick so we can we can afford to live here in this crummy situation for a, right. a while. And like I said, four years. And we never changed. We yeah. never, we never did better. Well, you're so, so those were your ideas, the, the toy story and the Homer verse. Well, yeah, some of, some of them came from, I remember I sent over um, my second idea pitches and then like Al immediately emailed me back and it was, he was like, that's great. Here's some more ideas. And he just took a photo of his notebook with like his chicken scratch writing. Right. And I was, the moment I got that email, I was like, oh, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> like all my nerves just went away. Um, but Tory story, I think came from him and, and Homer verse was something that he also wanted to do. But the one that came from my initial group was um, the B9 Rewind. Lisa, that was amazing. Um, Love that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. really proud of that one. And I'd heard um, like a, a couple weeks after it aired, Natasha Leone finally found it and like freaked out over it, which was an outcome I didn't anticipate happening, which I should have because it's The Simpsons. But right. that was really, really special because I love her and I loved um, Russian Doll and, and I love Lisa. So it just was really special. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. That's yeah. a great show too, Russian Doll. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, she's brilliant. It was cool to go to the. I said this on the podcast before, but it was cool to go to the table read uh, of Julia's episode and to know that, like, you know, all of these incredible voice actors who Julia and I have always idolized are saying Julia's words. Like, it was really special was and and very sentimental. It was emotional. It was very very cool. And then to actually see it on TV yeah. was then next level. Yeah. I got to go to the voice record too. Tim Long, other Simpsons writer and fan of the show, Tim or friend of the show, Tim Long. Um, he directed the voice record and was like, come on in, like, you know, be there, give notes. And I was like, what notes <laughs> am I possibly going to give? But all right. 
And, you know, Matt, just like you were saying, watching them work, watching the voice actors work and seeing that they're friends and seeing that they're like, you know, bonded in this collaboration and, and everything that you want for it to be in more was truly incredible. Watching Dan in particular go from Homer to Krusty. And I think there was like one scene where he talked to himself for like 10 minutes in different characters was wild. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget, like one of the notes that I did end up giving that they took, I told Dan to make, I think he was doing the Disney princess Homer and I told him to make it more delicious. And he took the note. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Oh, that's it's great. It's because of me. That's, that's so great. Fun. More, more, more delicious. <laughs> more deli- and he did it. He's amazing. <laughs> that's great. That I, yeah. When you try, yeah. When you're giving notes, it's fun to give a note that like, I, if you, if you gave that note to me as an actor, I go, well, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> Right. It's the yeah. journey and finding out, right? Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah, so good. it was incredible. Uh, so we asked uh, our listeners for some questions, as we said, and one of them is from at Severin VM. Uh, and he wants to know if there are any plans for an autobiography, uh, any writing about yourself. I think about it every so often and then uh, and then abandon that idea. Um, because <laughs> writing is hard well no no it's it's uh if i if i find the right take on on doing it i i will um Maybe I, a, I, I think about it. graphic novel version of an autobiography i could yeah Ooh. it's uh yeah it's, it's it's an idea i have this secret project that i've been working on i i used to i used to uh be a rock and roll writer for the la reader i think i told you that and i had a column called sound mix and i would write about you know, whatever, whatever band was in town that week and mostly small bands. Uh, and I, and I decided that I was never, there was no money in writing about rock and roll for a weekly newspaper in Los Angeles. Uh, so I just started doing it for myself. So I would write about bands based on their names. Uh, and I had, there was a band called Grandpa Becomes a Fungus. And I thought that, <laughs> So I wrote about Grandpa Becomes a Fungus. And then I, I got so cynical that I actually made up bands. And I would, <laughs> I would review it. And then the following week, I would say, that band I told you about last week, uh, that I made that up. And and then I go, but this one is real. And then I'd make up another band. I One time, uh, one weekend, my car broke down on the way to Club Lingerie uh, to see some, some punk band. And uh, so I wrote about my car breaking down instead. And people really liked that. And so the, the column became about me and, and my adventures <laughs> and less, less about music. And I was thinking about assembling those into a, into a, uh, into a book. And then uh, one, one week I didn't, I had run, run out of ideas. So I just wrote my top 100 things. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was mi- mixing it up. So I think number one was Vietnamese spring rolls. And then, and then, and then, and then yeah. grandpa becomes a fungus or whatever. So, it came time to, I was going to assemble my writing into a book, uh, all my articles and stuff. And um, I decided, well, what would I, what, why don't I do my top 100 now? And so this is a few years ago. And so I wrote my top 100, which took me about an hour, uh, maybe two hours to write up my top 100 movies, books, uh, comic books, uh, comedy, whatever. And, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to make my top 1,000. And that took me a week to write wow. my top 1,000. And then I realized, well, wait, I can't remember. Where did I put Phil Hendry? Uh, <laughs> where did I put, you know, and so I put it all in, in alphabetical order. And I said, you know, there's a book here. 
I'm going to do my top 10,000. And so I did, I've done this book. It's obviously still sitting uh, on my computer that my top 10,000 of stuff. It's it's alphabetical order. And I'm I'm, like, I'm every time I come up with something new, I take something out and I put it in and, and I, and, uh, and I try to, I have to, it can't be just a list. A list is nothing. So, uh, so I'm writing about these things and I don't know what I'll do with it, but that's, that's something I'm working on. My top 10,000. Amazing. Yeah. It's really fun. And by the way, when you, when you organize your life in that way, my top 10,000, then you, it, it changes your life because you, you, you watch a, a TV show, you go, that's good, but is it in my top 10,000? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So uh, I have a few questions that are, I guess, kind of personal, but one of them is, is at what point, at what moment did you feel like you could say i've made it when the simpsons was on the air and uh it was first popular and 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 i was uh having a house built in um in venice in the venice canals and somebody graffitied the side of the house with a bart picture and i don't i couldn't be sure whether or not it was somebody who knew that was my house or not Wow. Thought, wow. That <laughs> is so that great. Is what a great cool. answer. That's incredible. That's very mm. beautiful. <laughs> That's all, also kind of like cats in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another kind of uh, question in that realm, I suppose, is just a somewhat cheesy one, but, but what would you say is the best thing that has come out of making these shows and having your career, what, what is, what is the thing that you most take away from your life? Well, who would, I'm not sure if this is exactly that answer, but who would have thunk before the Simpsons, there there really wasn't anything like the Simpsons at the time and would it have happened anyway, but this incredible explosion in animation where you had creator driven uh, unique visions. What's amazing is how few imitations of other shows there are out there that there's, there's a whole bunch of networks and TV shows that are absolutely original. They look different from each other and they're, they're free. And I love, I love that this part of our culture has happened and maybe it would have happened anyway without the Simpsons. And I mean, probably some version of it would have, but that makes me really happy. It's just yeah. the amount of great stuff there is out there because growing up, it was um, Dr. Zoom was it <laughs> Dr. Zoom. Right. I mean, I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. I love, but yeah. animation not so good. I mean, the secret of Rocky and Bullwinkle, of course, was that it was great writing, great acting, and great music, and that's what I—that's yeah. what I thought would be good for The Simpsons. And th- that's one thing. The other thing is, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I work with some people on The Simpsons who are so brilliant and so funny, and yet I feel like, oh, man, I kind of ruined their lives because <laughs> <they're, they're, laughs> The Simpsons is a is a velvet cocoon of of uh that never goes away you know you're just caught up in <laughs> right. it but uh, they could have been curing cancer out there but instead they're writing crap jokes but, but the but the yeah but the writers are are fantastic i mean there's so many of them some of them who've gone on to other things some of them are still at still at the show pounding their head against the wall like coming up with another season <laughs> i mean matt matt selman and al jean uh, are are unbelievable and Selman keeps on coming up with these completely crazy out of left field ideas for shows. Uh, Homer, I mean, Homer, uh, Chalmers and Skinner going to Cincinnati together right. as, as an episode. <laughs> Al has, I think it was Al's, the three-part 
episode about various art things. Uh, Frida Kahlo, a whole episode about Frida Kahlo. Wow. I mean, uh, part of an episode. Um, I think that was I think that was one of Al's. And then the and then the writers themselves are so fantastic. I'll never forget working in the old days with John Vitti and and mm. uh, Wally Waladarsky and Jay Kogan, uh, who who were there at the beginning and who really. Um, really uh, anchored the show with really funny stuff. Krusty the Clown was based on a on a clown I grew up with in Portland, Oregon, named Rusty, Rusty Nails, <laughs> who was a Christian clown. But Jay Kogan, Jay Kogan and and uh, and Wally Walidarski made him Jewish, and that changed the the personality completely. And is hilarious. So That's good for great. them. Yeah, because he's so Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, hearing all those stories about you know like the people that are at the beginning and, and just also hearing about like what is the climate what is the environment of the Simpsons now I mean I I think I speak for Allie and I both you know we're both TV writers and we're aspiring for you know if not something that feels like the Simpsons but just something that feels special and everybody is there and they're present and they agree on creating something great and everyone's firing on all cylinders just to have that experience in a work environment I think is really the dream just making yeah. a show that is special like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every every so often, there's there there have been people on the staff who who didn't quite fit, who were who were, who were angry about something, but they had no excuse to be angry at the show. You know, it <laughs> right. was it was it was always something else. And then there's also people who are so brilliant that they just went on to other stuff. Uh, Greg yeah. Daniels, uh, mm. uh, Conan, somebody I can't know, don't remember his last <laughs> name. Uh, there's too many Conans. It's hard to <laughs> keep them straight. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and then and, and and among the animators, the same thing. Uh, of course, Brad Bird and D David Silverman keep circling back to the show, but he's done a bunch of stuff on his own. And uh, and then one of my favorites is a is a one of the original Simpsons directors named named uh, Jim Reardon, who is uh, up at Pixar co-wrote uh, Wally, which I think so is one good. of the greatest uh, animated yeah. films ever. You know. Absolutely. And there's so many. I'm like, I'm like, I, know, I would love to I give, I'd love to give a shout out to everybody. And, you know, I'm forgetting, but <laughs> it's all right. They know they're great. They don't <laughs> need to hear it. <laughs> well, Matt, we just want to thank you so much for coming on our show. This has been so much fun. And, uh, you know, as we said, you know, the Simpsons obviously means a lot to me and Julia and obviously to the listeners of this podcast. And uh, we owe so much uh, of who we are to the Simpsons and, and to you. And I truly, I mean, as we mentioned, I've never lived a life, neither is Julia, without the Simpsons. It's impossible to imagine life without it for us. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, and so thank you so much for creating the best shows ever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and thank you for sitting down with us to chat about it. Cause it truly has been a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's do it again. Oh, you, wait, you're quitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, let's start a new podcast, right? <laughs> we could do what, uh, the pre podcast, what I like to call a uh, phone call <laughs> or a hangout. Yes. We could do. Any oh, of Hey, things. let's, let's hang out once the, once we all get vaccinated Please. and all that stuff, you know, that sounds Absolutely. good to me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so by the time that this uh, episode airs, people will have already binged all of the new season, uh, but make sure to go to Netflix to check out Disenchantment. Uh, is there anything else that you would want to tell people to check out of yours or someone else's? Well, I, I, Disenchantment, uh, is what you just mentioned, the, the new episodes are coming out on January 15th, so that may be in the past. <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of of not my work but the the work of everybody on the show from the animators uh, at uh, Rough Draft 
and uh, to the actors, to um, the, the musicians. Mark Mothersbaugh, unbelievable. So yeah, so great. And um, and it's just, it's, it's still, is it still fun? Yes, it's still fun. <laughs> That's excellent. There you go. The million dollar question is answered. What more do you sickos want? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Um, Thanks again. And with that, smell you later. Well, <laughs> Allie, where can people find you? <gasps> you still want to find after all Where this are time you? we've been looking for you well julia thank you so much for asking you could find me at ally gertz on all the things and hey julia where can people find you oh thank you so much for asking i'm at julia prescott on all the things and i want to say something Round Springfield is a production <laughs> of Maximum Fun. We are a member-supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager, as you know, is Jesus Ambrosio. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Swish. <laughs> Smell you later. Smell you later. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.